Mac Power Users, episode 183, Merlin's Fifth. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks along with Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. How are you? Hey, David. I'm doing great. Excellent. And we have our friend Merlin Mann back for the fifth time. Welcome, Merlin, to the show. Hello, power users. I, you know, I love having you here every year. It's, it's one of the highlights of uh, doing the show is sitting down with you once a year and, and catching up. And I've talked about it in the past, but you are our first, um, you are our first workflow guest. So you're kind of the original workflow guest. So thanks for coming back. Yeah, oh, it's and my pleasure to be here. Thanks. Bring them back yeah. every year about this time. And David, I think you said before the show, we've got lots of pressure because, you know, it's number five. And, uh, you know, in my world, odds are, you know, not good. You know, well, see, all- in my world, episode five was the best Star Wars movie. So this yeah. will be our best show with Merlin. Uh, I, w- I looked it up before you came on, Merlin. And the, for the fifth anniversary, I'm supposed to give you wood. So you always give me wood, oh, David. Oh, yeah. boy. Can we take that as, I got you something pleather. It might be kind of small. And we've the, lost our clean tag already. I included the uh, receipt in an envelope in case you need to oh, exchange nice. it. Thank Don't you return so much. it, though. It would hurt my feelings. You're such a nice guy. Thank you. Happy wood. All right. Um, so we've covered a lot in, in past episodes. And, and getting ready for today, we were talking about things that you're excited about lately. And, and there's one that we've never talked about on the show with you, but we've talked about it between us a few times, is, mm-hmm. is home automation. I guess you're really you're heading down the path. I am really, yes, I'm really new to this, but um, uh, it's funny because one of the suggestions that you made to talk about, a popular topic of mine, something I always enjoy talking about is things that can be time sinks unintentionally. And this could certainly be an unintentional time sink, but I'm, I don't know, I guess I'm just very interested as somebody who's really new to this scene. And uh, I don't know, I guess it just seems like in the last few years, along the lines of say the way we felt about Wi-Fi, by you know the mid 2000s it went from this thing that was completely this thing for nerds that was pretty complicated and expensive to something that you suddenly realize wow that, that really is within reach and there are actually cool functional helpful things that i can do with this and that's that's what surprised me the most some of the services some of the products but also some of these services that allow you to leverage these things to do actually useful things that make your life easier and less stressful yeah, well it give us like- I was going to say, just give us some examples of of what types of things are are you doing with home automation. Um, Wow. uh, Just just jump in. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then maybe we'll we'll dive into the nitty gritty. Sure. Um, For example, um, uh, when I walk into my office, the lights turn on and 30 minutes after I leave my office, the lights go off. That's, that's a very simple thing that, I mean, I've been pretty good at lights. I've been pretty advanced at lights since the age of probably about five, but I really like not having to think about it. I like the energy efficiency. That's just, that's a, that's an extremely simple example, but knowing, um, or, or for that matter, if I walk out of the office and I leave that, if I leave that perimeter, it all automatically will shut off or I can just hit a button right from my phone and it'll shut off or turn on or whatever. And so that, that extremely simple pattern, like think about all the things you know, we're all such fans of, of folks like, you know, Brett Terpstra or uh, who was it you just had on? You were talking, oh, like TJ. People who are able to take this thing where we didn't even realize that we could automate something that we're doing a lot. And, you know, in the same way that it's nice to remove keystrokes with Text Expander, it's nice to have a, something that can not only automate what you do, would do automatically, make it less kind of drudgery, not not just lights, but also then to kind of the ones that are really amazing to me right now are ones that can learn patterns from me. 
Yeah. Uh, and so I think those kinds of things are, are super interesting. And I, I guess one reason I think it's interesting to talk about now, it'd be fun to go back and listen to this episode five years from now, because I really do feel like we're in the infancy where they're still shaking out in terms of who's going to be the market leaders in terms of this stuff. But even today, there's stuff that you can do for not too, too much money uh, that can make your, your life a little uh, easier and fun. It's, it seems like there's a combination of technologies that have made this possible. It's I think it's a low power Bluetooth is part of it. I think, you know, everywhere Wi-Fi and the fact that the components to make stuff like this has got a lot cheaper. Hmm. And and then you've got this Internet backbone. And, and I think that's what really, to me, has made the stuff interesting is that you can put a light bulb that can talk to the Internet now in your house uh, for not that much money. And that yeah. gives you all these options. So, yeah, I, I agree. That it's a confluence of things. I, I, I guess those are all true. I mean, I would, I would pin it for me personally. The thing that got me interested, I've done things like I've had remote cameras at home before. Uh, I had, I think, like a, not Linksys, but I had some kind of a networked, like an Ethernet camera that mm-hmm. was. It was kind of costly. It was very low resolution. It was kind of neat though, because even whatever that was, five or eight years ago, there's this camera where I would be able to change like what it was looking at. I could use it remotely, like I was in I don't know some kind of eighties movie. But for me, it's things like yeah, the the price the, the the I guess okay. So one thing is iOS. Having an iOS app for almost every one of these things helps a lot. That makes it very easy to go in and say things like, let me look at my drop cam and see the last event that happened while I was away. Let me um, use smart things to... Uh, to see if the garage door is open. Let me use Wemo to shut off this light remotely. Or, you know, have um, the if this and that service say that if it's, if it's sunset, turn on these Phillips lights or, or whatever. There's the, the, um, so on the one hand, yeah, the, I guess three parts. iOS apps, huge part. Another part, it's not just that the price of, has dropped, but there's been this iPodification of these devices that makes them much, much prettier to look at, much easier to deal with, much simpler to configure. I mean, my God, things are so much easier to configure today than they used to be. It's really a simple, we can talk about this, but in, you know, various, the, the various devices are like almost trivially easy to set up. If you have an operating Wi-Fi network, or you have an operating Ethernet port at your house. It's trivially easy to set most of these up. But um, then the uh, the other part is, honestly, services like If This Then That in particular, which is a service that uses APIs to say, when a certain thing happens in the world, do this certain other thing. And now increasingly now, one I mentioned one in the little notes we put together, there's a new hub out that will consolidate all your other hubs into one place. So yes, absolutely the infancy, but it's, the new, it's, a new, it's an exciting new time. Um, for, you know, I don't, at this point, I don't know if I need a refrigerator that tells me we're almost out of milk. Maybe that'll be cool. But I, I just even basic stuff like, let me know, you know, that my, um, that my front door is open or that the, like a package arrived. There are so many really clever little things that are, are, I think are very much along another way to think about it, not just Wi-Fi. Think about where we were with text files like four years ago. And how, you know, you, the three of us sitting here and talking about Markdown makes everybody roll their eyes. Well, now today, that's an extremely mature system for a lot of people. It's not like a, a dopey thing that only hyper nerds use anymore, yeah. although it is their particular uh, domain. You know, I, I think, I, I don't know, I'm just interested in it. I'm interested in, uh, I'm not much of a futurism kind of guy, but when stuff comes along that I can see already making little improvements. Um, and, and then, of course, I think it's also interesting to talk about how they're not really quite ready for prime time yet. So, yeah, it, it, that interests me. And it's you're right. It's happening now. And there's all these various platforms out there. I know that if you look at my home screen on, on my iPhone, 
a lot of those icons are for some of the home automation stuff I've got running in my house. And yeah. it's not it's not just one thing yet. But let's go back real quick. I, so tell me about your lights in your in your office. So what are you using a Wemo or, or how are you yeah, accomplishing maybe, that? I don't know. Maybe I, I don't want to take over your show, but like you know, I, 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 I was probably plenty of resources out there for telling people the myriad different systems that you can get. Maybe it would be useful to talk about a, a couple of those just to get it out of the way. Like you say, yeah, the first one I experimented with the ones I put in the show notes were kind of in the order that I started messing with them. Um, because, well, let me start out by saying that the, the, my entree into this was the curiosity that I got out of being an if this, then that user. Right. And so I'm sure you've talked about this before, but if this, then that, that is a free service where you sign up and you can, you know, you, you well, it's, I believe it's APIs that are allowing this to happen. You don't need to know that. All you need to know is that you go and sign into this service, you sign into that service and so forth. So for example, when I get a Gmail with the following subject, if there's an attachment, put that in my Dropbox. That's the kind of thing that's super useful to do. Uh, something like if you wanted to send a torrent to a to a, a torrent box, you could you could do that using that same method. You could see, you can do really really obvious things like the I think the classic when IFTTT first started. That's the shortcut for if this and that. When it first started was if the weather reports so is like a weather channel. They have channels. What if the weather channel says that it's going to rain? Text me to say bring an umbrella. You know um, at sunrise. Uh, send me my appointments for the day and stuff like that. So basically, if you can think in terms of these channels, which is all you know, like, gosh, how many of them are there? So many. Yeah. All the obvious ones, things like uh, time, things like calendar, things like email. And increasingly, a new one that's been huge for me is location. So if you have the IFTTT app on your phone, you can say, when I enter or leave this area that I've identified, do the following kinds of things. And just so, to clar- clarify, that's on the iPhone app for IFTTT. Yeah, location is specific, as far as I know, to the iOS app. But everything right. else you can do via the website. The IFTTT app is a real pretty easy-to-use app. But anyhow, so I, got in, I was using tons of uh, these little tricks, uh, things like... I mean, you could do things like, I think you could do things like, I use a different service for this, but you could say things like, watch my email for a package delivery notification, and then, you know, send that to me, Um, various things like that. But I started noticing all these devices in there uh, that that sounded interesting, like the Philips Hue lights, I didn't know what that was. I saw the Wemo, I didn't know what that was. I saw smart things, there were all kinds of little devices for smart things, and I thought, what what is all of this? And so that uh, was Wemo is where I started in terms of the automation because you can think about wow if if you can have this way of knowing well one tiny step back well, why is this why is this useful in this, in an Uber pattern way so much of what you guys talk about on here and so much of what interests me is the ability to intelligently filter the universe the cosmos is to have some way of saying like I don't, I don't have a way to monitor the universe without losing my mind but machines are peculiarly well suited to noticing when events happen in the world that I've identified as being important to me. So however the black box works, however the secret sauce works on Gmail, Gmail is really has gotten very good at letting me know when something important is happening in my inbox. So I don't have to go and sift through every PayPal receipt I've ever received in my inbox each day. I don't have to sift through every blog comment. If something important happens, you know, Gmail is aware of that. Things like AwayFind, which is a, a service I like a lot. AwayFind will let me know if things that match criteria that I've indicated happen in my email inbox. It'll push a notification. So if I get if I get an email from Dan Benjamin, of all the I don't get email notifications for just stuff. It's for certain people. It's for certain subjects. It's for certain times. And that has been such a salutary change for me over having to like hear beep 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 in my pocket all the time. 
I mean, who wants to hear their pocket beeping? Yeah. And so that's kind of what, that's kind of where I started here. So should I, should we jump in with, I, you know, and actually, I think we're talking a little before the show. I think actually, Katie, um, was, you're, you've used Wemo, right? Oh, I, I love Wemo. Um, I think that's a good one to start with, probably. Well, because it's fairly inexpensive and well, it gets expensive if you start building onto it, like anything does. But, you know, generally the Wemos are about 50 bucks a pop. So you start with something that you plug a lamp into and then you, you move to a couple of lamps and then maybe you move to the light switches and then you move to this motion sensors and, and you can add on from there. Have you, have you tried the Wemo light switches that you can, stick in the wall and control your your normal lights i mean i know you can control led lights no with we live stuff, we live but... in a we live in a fred flintstone house that oh. was that was built in a different i think it was in the pleistocene era our house was built so but you don't have lights in your ceiling or something like that well we have i mean you're making air quotes right here we have light-ish things but no we have we haven't done that yet but yeah. uh yeah just the, the the easiest one to probably start with is what looks like kind of a big fat uh power switch that you plug in, it's got a little three-prong thing you plug in, you plug your lamp into that. And then that is able to be detected by uh, the Wemo app, I guess. See, I, I use the hub, so it's a little different. But what you're describing is exactly right. You can get a, you can get a light switch. That's the easiest one. So basically, it's a zero or a one. It's either on or off. Pretty simple, but also kind of great. The, the one where it started, that got me really excited is the motion sensors. So you can get a switch with a motion sensor that says, so for example, you can have a switch in your house, and you can have this logic that says, whenever motion is detected, when motion stops, when motion starts, when motion's active, do the following kinds of things. So the most basic one is, you know, so you have a lamp in some other part of your house, as long as it's all on the same Wi-Fi network, you've got a motion sensor, say, near your door. So you say, when I walk in, turn on that light and leave it on for 30 minutes. If, you know, as long as from, from the time of motion detection to 30 minutes, leave that on. Isn't that, is that a pretty good place to start? Yeah. Sure. So like in, that's what you're running in your office. You've got a Wemo motion sensor. So you walk in, the lights turn on, and so long as you're in there and active, it's going to stay on. But when you leave, it's going to detect no motion for 30 minutes, and then it's going to turn the lights off. Yeah, which is it's that sounds as simple as the thing that happens in your office. And I don't I don't want to problematize this, but the thing that makes that really cool is there's actually a lot more flexibility when you really think about what's happening. So you could say, for example, um, and this is this is something that the Smart Things products do extremely well. Is they're really smart about all different kinds of states. It's crazy what the Smart Things stuff can do, especially with doors. It's really wackadoodle. But in this instance, yeah, there's the most basic one, which is when I walk in, tell the switches for these two lights to turn on. And then to stay on uh, until motion is not detected for 30 minutes. So I found a good place in my office where just even just sitting at my desk, it's likely to notice me being here and it just leaves the lights on. So that's kind of nice for a power thing. It's I don't know. There's just there's something kind of cool and and, uh, Jetsons about walking in and having your lights turn on uh, for you. But that's really just the beginning because then I I don't want to get too far ahead, but. I guess they'll be getting far ahead, but yeah. So that's the basic one. What, what are they? Um, you've got um, you've got uh, you've got the basic switch. You got a switch where you can do the motion detection. They have one called the Insight switch that's kind of cool. So if you've got some kind of power gobbling device that you don't want on all the time, you can have the Insight switch. You know, like you can find they call them power vampires. You can find things how much energy they use when they're off, how much energy they use when they're on. Um, that one's really cool. So you can say, like, I've noticed this is how many kilowatt hours this this light is using all the time. Um, and so, the, but I, I like the Wemo family. I would suggest if you got a little bit of scratch, go in and get. There's a basic Wemo starter kit that I got that I think was I think was might have been all these things seem to be two hundred or three hundred bucks. Uh, I, it might have been three hundred bucks, but you get in this instance you get I think two 
you get a motion sensor, I think two switches. Do you remember? Okay, did, you, did, you, did you get the hub starter kit? No, I, I bought them one at a time. Yeah. When I got them, they were all about 50 bucks every time you wanted something. So yeah, the, right, the motion right. sensor is $50. The wall ward is $50. I yeah. think I made the right choice to start with the Wemo stuff, though, because it's the, the iOS app is very is very simple to use, really smart. It'll say, like, you op- open the iOS app, and it says, okay, I detected motion this many minutes ago. This thing is on. It's pretty great to be to walk outside my office, though, hit the little bu- green button. The green button turns, spins and turns to yellow and then turns to off. And I see the lights go off in my office. Like it's, it's pretty neat. Wemo is a great place to start and you can use that directly with, um, with IFTTT. How do you use it with the light switch, uh, Katie? That sounds pretty cool. Well, I have an interesting one in my garage. So I put the Wemo motion sensor in my garage and, you know, so it's out of the weather enough, but I, I pointed it so it faces the garage door. And, and you can get complicated and you can tie these into multiple things. So when the garage door opens, I have it set with um, when the garage door opens during certain times of the day, you know, like day, time that I'm supposed to not be at home when I'm supposed to be at work, it's going to give me a notification on my phone. Nice. So that's that's one thing it does. But then I also have it set that if that garage door opens, because that's, that's where I pull into my house, if that garage door opens... During um, sun, during the periods that the sun is set, so from sunset to sunrise, it is going to trigger a Wemo that is uh, connected to my exterior light. So this is a Wemo in the in the wall light switch, and it will trigger my exterior lights. So as I'm pulling up and I'm a couple of you know feet from my driveway, I'll hit my garage door opener. That will start coming up. And so my lights outside, if I'm coming home when it's dark, will come on so I can go get the mail, take the trash out, whatever, and all my lights are automatically on, and then they'll go off five minutes later. Yeah, that's, that's, no, that's, that's another great example where if you're, in another, if you're in another place and that happens, you, at the very least, even if you don't interact directly, now you've got a notification that this, this thing happened, you know it's been taken care of. And I right. think that's kind of a nice feeling. Yeah. Now, I'm really curious about these hubs because I've been looking at these. There's the Revolve Hub, um, and then there's the Smart Things. And I think they're kind of competing products, but I, I, I think the Hub is trying to work with everything. And my understanding is the Smart Things also will work with a lot of the more standard products like the Wemo and the Hue um, and the Sonos maybe. H- how does Smart Things fit into it? Because I'm, I'm looking to expand, and I think that's the next step that I'm going to go. Um, I, the Revolve, I don't own, but I think it's very interesting because uh, as I understand it, the Revolve seeks to be the like meta hub, like it's the one that pulls together all, like, as you say, all your different systems. I, I the smart things is to me, that's the one I have, I own and have more experience with. I've been very impressed with, with smart things. Um, because yes, as you say, I think it works I know, like, for example, it uses the light switch or the uh, power switches that it uses for doing the on-off stuff are, I forget who makes them, but it's not made by smart things. I mean, there's a kind of a standard kind of, I forget what it's like, Z... Z-Wave. Z-Wave, okay. Yeah. And, and that's like kind of a standard for doing these kinds of things. So there's all kinds of stuff that you can add on to your smart things network that are not like made by smart things, which I think is a good sign. It's and, very enticing. And, and your smart thing stuff will work with your Wemo stuff, won't it? I don't know. I've never tried that. Oh. I, I would love to get rid of a, um, let's see. I don't think I, I don't, do I own a, is there a hub for the Wemo stuff? I don't even remember. No, I, yeah. Not the, no. no. Yeah. Yeah. But all I know is I recently ran out of ethernet, uh, ports 
at my house, which is a bad sign. I had the same problem. I had but, to buy a. I had to buy a. What is it? A bridge? You know, you plug a switch. Yeah. I, I would say if you're if you're interested in this stuff though, and you don't, and you can spend three hundred bucks, get that smart thing starter package because it's you'll really get a sense of the power of this stuff. So when you get this thing, it comes with the hub. And the hub is just the thing that, you know, communicates with all the devices. It comes with two light switches. Um, wait, no, I'm sorry. It comes with one light switch, two, I think they're called multi, let me see, let me find out what exactly what the, what the name of this thing is, but the little door devices, which are deceptively simple. Uh, These are like two- stickums that stick on your door and they'll tell you if a door's open or closed? Well, yeah. a lot more than that. But yeah, the, the, you get two of the SmartSense multi-sensor, which are what looks like a typical door sticky thing. Uh, you get, I think, one motion sensor, and you get two of these little things called presents, which look like, look like little key fobs. And uh, so just, and, you know, you, we, can, we all know what a motion sensor does. It looks for motion. But what's neat about the smart things is it can t- tell things like whether motion is happening right now, how long it's been since. So there's all kinds of ways you can apply logic to if you had like for example multiple motion sensors you know if there's been motion here for a while and not motion there do the following kinds of things the presence things are pretty cool um they're like little key fob things so i put one in my daughter's backpack so i mean obviously <laughs> she's sick so she's never like alone but now i get when my wife brings her home from school i get a notification that you know my daughter's just arrived at the house because it's it basically you set this perimeter for what equals your house. Yeah. And when certain events happen inside of that area, it knows that you're doing things at home. So, for example, you could say in this giant circle that I've made as soon and, and oh, and by the way, your your phone, your iPhone can also be used as a presence device. So when I enter this circle, do these things. So if it is after 5 p.m., I'm just tossing this out, but I think this is the kind of thing that like a, a normal commuting person would do. If it's um, if it's after 5 p.m. and I enter this circle, you could text somebody to say that I'm on my way. You could you could say turn on the air conditioning. You could say uh, flip on these lights at this level and so forth. Um, super cool stuff, and that's what the presence does. So you can also say things like you can tell when somebody's left and so forth. The real, the real amazing thing, though, is this multi-sensor. This thing is crazy. So on the basic level, it, it looks like, like any kind of old-fashioned thingy you'd put on your door to indicate, like, like if you were a, a shop owner, you could put, put, put one of those things on your door, and it goes ding-dong when the door opens, Yeah. right? So there's one thing that goes on the door, there's one thing that goes on the frame of the door, and when it separates, it makes a noise, right? This does so much more than that. This can tell things like... Not only whether it's open or closed, but how open or closed it is. It can tell what angle the, 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 the door device is at. It can tell, it tells you the temperature where that thing is. Uh, and so for example, you can take, if you, if you leave off the little short nubbin that you would put on the door frame, you could put one of the, I have one of these on my garage door. And so it knows that when, after it goes past a certain angle, there's a little recipe you can use in smart things that it'll know now that my garage door is open. And so I get a text if my neighbors left the garage door open. I get a text if the garage door has been open for more than six minutes. And it can do things like say, you can, you can do things like monitor, you can do things like you can add on devices that'll monitor whether you got water in your basement where the humidity is too high in this area, all this kinds of stuff. But this, this thing is amazing. You can put it on a liquor cabinet. You could put it on a safe and you could say things like it'll, it'll detect vibration. So you can say like, has this thing been tampered with? So in any way, so for, for something like 300 bucks, you get a pretty good taste of whether this is for you. 
Um, I don't mean to make this a sales job for smart things, but I think if you're just going to buy, like if, if you're pretty sure you're into this, I would try smart things because you do get this kind of whole suite of stuff. I eventually bought a second one of them because I liked it so much and I added, added lots of stuff to the house. But I'm sorry, I'm kind of ranting on about this. Well, it, you know, it's interesting because I think you got into this later than I did because I, I was very early. There was no Wemo package when I got started and I've been gluing things together with if this, then that. You know, like for instance, my Wemo sensor uh, doesn't control Wemo lights. It controls Hue lights because I'm using if this and that. They both connect into it. And so Smart Things was kind of off my radar, and now now it is on my radar. So I'm going to have to look at it. But the, the nice thing, the, I guess I'm kind of mixed. At one point, I'm thinking, do I want to keep buying all these pieces from different systems? But then at the same time, they all do work together with a service like if this, then that. Well, also, again, this is this is the this is the part that makes this interesting. I think um, I heard Kevin Kelly on as we record this. I heard Kevin Kelly from Wired Magazine on one of the founders of Wired on um, Morning Edition today talking about something something twenty fifth anniversary of the web. And he's such an interesting guy and such a uh, you know I think he's part of the Long Now Foundation. He's very interested in like the big picture, not just futurism as like refrigerators that report on your milk consumption, but like the really the long picture and. He said something I thought was really like so many things Kevin says I found so illuminating, which is like, um, you know, well, what if everything that's happened up till now with the web is, is really like the stone age? Like, it's amazing to think about all the stuff we're sitting there and going like, Oh boy, we should go through these, you know, social media services quickly. But what if this really is like completely the stone age and we have absolutely no idea how big the internet writ large and the web writ large could get that's i mean obviously this is not as momentous as that but i think this is a little bit like being a mac hobbyist early in the days like you're going to pay an idiot tax if you decide to get into this stuff because a la what hd dvd and blu-ray there's not a clear leader in this yet yeah but you know it's if it's not that much money and i think you know for 300 bucks you can jump in and tinker and it's you know it wouldn't kill you and and this stuff will work with the other stuff because of if this then that because you can glue it, you can glue it all together. Um, I want to talk more about this, uh, but we should probably pay the bills too. So <laughs> let's uh, talk about our first sponsor today, and that is a, a an excellent Mac app. This is a, our second spot with this company called Tapes, and Tapes is a screencast sharing application that is just it's remarkable. I can't get over how much I've been using this since I first discovered it. So, you know, if you've done screencasting, you know that you can get a very uh, high-end application and spend a lot of time, like producing a movie. Like when I do the the field guides, that's what I do. But a lot of times, I just want a very simple screencast to show somebody something. Like my sister uh, sent me a note, and she said, you know, I don't understand how to put a secure note in 1Password, because I was telling her about it at a family gathering. So I made a tapes screencast and sent it to her. And all I had to do was you activate tapes. It sits in your menu bar. And it says, select the portion of the screen. So I opened up the 1Password app. I selected just the portion of the screen I needed. And then I then I recorded. And you can record up to three minutes. It's a very simple recording. I made a new secure note and showed her how to make it and then lock it back up. And as soon as I was done, Tapes takes that recording, puts it on the web for themselves. They give you a link. It's already in your clipboard. And I just sent her an email and said, click this. And she goes on the web and she can see the little tape I made. It shows her exactly how to do it. It's the easiest way to share information with people that involves computers that I've ever used. I'm using it now when I get uh, listener questions or reader questions. They want just a really quick tip. It takes me so long to type out how to do something where I can make a tape and just send it to them. Um, I 
the other day I taught someone how to redact a PDF. Um, I do listener. I showed a listener how to set up an OmniFocus perspective. Um, I'm working on a, an, a, a beta of a software and I sent a bug to the developer and I just made a little tape of it. I sent it to them and they wrote me back saying, Oh, thanks. Now I get it. I understand what you didn't, what you were trying to explain. And even better, now I'm receiving tapes yes. from listeners because we, um, we mentioned we, it on the last ad spot. We said, Hey, send us your tapes of your tips. And I've gotten like seven or eight keyboard maestro tapes. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, listeners are using it, too. It's really great. All you do is hit Command-Shift-2, and boom, you're done. You just make your little tape. You send it off. It supports Retina. They host it for you. It's an HTML5, so it's all. But they do have a Flash fallback if, you know, somebody needs Flash. And it's only $9.99 in the App Store. It's it's just really a no-brainer. This thing paid for itself the very first time I used it. It's just a great little app. Uh, a nice, small, independent developer trying to make something great, and they succeeded. So everybody go out and check out Tapes. You can get it in the Mac App Store. And tell them you heard about it from us. Yeah, and you can find more information at usetapes.com slash Mac. You gotta try that app someday, Merlin. I will. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna gift it to you. You're Thank gonna you. love it. The um uh anyway, so getting back to this stuff. So the thing that really blew my mind, because when I first got into it, I'm not sure even if this, then that was a thing. You know, the, I was in early on the Wemo, but the idea that I could take information from one system and send it to another is what really gets me excited about this stuff. Because now all of a sudden I can make all these things happen. And I don't know about you guys, but I, I look at if this, then that. And whenever I get the email that says, hey, we got a new channel, I am so tempted to like sign up for services and buy stuff just yep. because they have an if this, then that channel. Oh, hundred percent. It's, it's, and it's, I think actually it was, was it TJ Loma who said this, but somebody was like, please let me send you money. If this and that, please don't go right. away or get stupid. Yeah. Because Gabe, it's, Gabe Weatherhead has been on Gabe that. Weatherhead. It's yeah. such a pure, it's such a pure, brilliant idea. It's something, you know, if you, if you guys, if any of the listeners in the past have done things like tried Yahoo pipes or stuff like that, incredibly powerful. Uh, but really, really complicated to use. And the beauty of this is, is that it's called if this and that. So you go and you say, if the page comes up, it's got like five words on the page. It says, if this happens and you click on the word this, and then you select the channel and the activity and then boop, then that happens. Then, this, you know, and it's really that simple. It's really a simple saying when this happens, that happens. And uh, it's, uh, you know, I, there are all kinds of dorky ways to use this. I think a lot of people use it for super dorky stuff. Like if somebody follows me on Twitter, send them an auto bot thing that says thanks for the follow or whatever. And oh. you certainly can do things like that. You could, you know, you could say, I think a lot of people use it for stuff like if somebody tags me on a picture in Facebook, download that picture to Dropbox. Yeah. Things like that. And, but that's, you know, you kind of really, us describing it is not going to do it any justice, like describing Quicksilver. It would be useful to go in and just look at the app and see some of the sample recipes and you'll get an idea. But, uh, but I agree with you that, that, that was, that's what got my brain excited. The idea of having an island of information anywhere today does not appeal to me. The idea of having proprietary Sony like systems of stuff that go live and, and like, oh, you just barely see their eyes peering out of their little proprietary window. That doesn't appeal to me. Uh, but these devices are built to be very open and communicative. And, uh, and, and, you know, and then I don't, if we have time, I'd like to also talk about dr- drop cam, which is pretty amazing and how you can have that work with these different things. But, you know, I, here's the thing is like, I, I, the downside of some of this stuff, stop me if I'm getting ahead, no. but the downside of some of this stuff is it is a little nerdy in implementation. Like I, 
I, I got the Philips Hue lights uh, actually this week and set them up and they're really cool. My daughter loves making her own crazy light recipes and stuff like that. She's like, you know, made an aquarium out of our, out of our living room and stuff like that. So the, the Philips lights, if, for those who don't know, you get a hub and then you get three of these light bulbs and the light bulbs are bright enough. They're not super watt bright. They're probably in like what I would guesstimate to be the 40 to 60 watt range. In, in normal old school light bulbs, but you can produce pretty much any color of light and level of light that you want. So you could say as just a one crazy example, I have one called Merlin reading where I have a very bright kind of yellow, kind of a bright white light on the light directly behind me on the couch and the other two lights in the room dim to you, a certain, you to probably like have a, them kind of warm, right? There. Warm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or there's a really cool setting called cinema that's one of the stock settings where you can go in and it turns all your lights really like a dark red, but very low. So it kind of feels like you're walking into a cinema. And so it's a little dorky, but in terms of controlling the lights in one room in particular, it's, it's pretty neat and pretty powerful. If you get up in the morning and uh, you want to feel like lots of energy, you can flip on the energy setting and it produces a really bright blue light on all of the lights. You can turn it up nice and bright, makes you feel kind of awake. But again, now, like I say, you can also do stuff. I, David and Katie, can't you do stuff like have it say, if I get an email from this person, blink this light, this yeah, color? You can. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's that's a little dorky. And my family can't leverage all of that because they're not going to sit there and pull out an iPhone every time they want to turn on a light. And conversely, if my wife, like a normal human being from millennia of experience, goes up and turns off a light, then the automation thing won't work anymore. Well, we just got an email from George Starcher, uh, an occasional guest on our show, who's got a hue next to his front door. And if it's going to snow that day... The light turns blue in the morning. Wow. Wow, that's clever. Yeah. Uh, he I does mean, that somehow with Raspberry Pi, or is he doing that with If This and That? I don't know. But you could do I think you I could, think do you could probably do it with This and That. Yeah, because okay, so they connect. I mean, I've I've gone in whole hog with the Hue lights, Merlin. I, I, I got the starter set last Father's Day in, I think, 2013 or 2012. And then just recently, we've got these four can lights in our kitchen. And now they make the can-style light bulbs. So I replaced all the four light bulbs in the kitchen, and we've been having so much fun with that. You know, my daughter's uh, she's in high school. The video crew, they they do like a funny bits once in a while. So they were doing one in the kitchen. So they shot it in our kitchen. It was St. Patrick's Day. So the St. Patrick's character was like clapping his hands, and the lights would turn green and they turn red. <laughs> and they were, you know, they were like totally into it. And and then you can download an app. This is what you got to do. The, with dis- your the disco app. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you got to tell them what that does. Tell them what the disco it, app it does. It listens to the music and then it pulses the lights in time with the music, and it, it changes colors. It's like being in a disco. It's awesome. I was I, mean, I was thinking about I've been thinking about these lights for a while and I'm I'm about ready to pull the trigger on them and I I really needed them this morning because you know we just had the daylight savings time switch and I haven't switched over yet but I have to get up early Thursday mornings for a meeting and I've I've got to be out of the house uh, by six o'clock and I was thinking you know what would have really gotten me out of bed is if the lights in my bedroom would have gradually just turned on mm-hmm. and I th- I think you can do that with the hue can't you yeah the, the first night we got the the thing set up. Can you do that, kitchen. David? Can you can you tell it like yes. I noticed I noticed that I, I I just literally got these two days ago, so I'm still yeah. playing, but I noticed that there's a theater they, they do the theater lighting thing automatically of dimming on and off. But can you can you say like when I do this scene, have it you can say I can ha- have it fade out after so many minutes? I'm not sure if you can do it after so many minutes, but you can say once I start the fade, you can do it slow, and then you can have it wake you up uh, slowly as well. Oh, what that's I, so cool. What I was gonna say is when we first got the lights in the kitchen 
um, my, um, we, we were playing very loud music through the Sonos and, uh, we were like jumping on the, jumping on the couches and stuff. And, and the next day my neighbor said, what was going on in your house yesterday? (laughs) Because I'm sure if you saw the wind, the blinds close, all these flashing lights and this loud music. (laughs) It's hard to describe to people though. It isn't, it isn't just, you're so used to the idea of like a dimmer light or like in my case, when we were kids, a black light, but what's, it really is bananas that if you imagine like a color picker on your Mac, it can generate any of those colors at any level of brightness up to yeah. its maximum ability. So you could have your, your room just red, purple, green, like pulsing. It's, it's, it's really crazy. And you can take a picture with the app of something. Let's say you've got a favorite, you know, something, you know, and you take a picture of it. You can drag the icons for the individual lights over different colors on the screen and it'll match them. Yeah. That that I I, I that, that 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 is really I don't know I I, I haven't found a use for that but it it is clever I'm I'm curious though in terms of what is your do you have a basic like default setup that you like for using the 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 lights in a production environment Yeah well it really depends like I because um we have a small house so my my home office Max Sparky Central is really a corner of our bedroom so I've got the three lights in the bedroom and depending on the time of day I use different recipes. And as I start working my way towards sleep, by the way, everybody should go listen to the back to work on sleep. I thought that was really great work, but I, I do turn the lights to be much warmer in the evening than they are during the day to kind of get my head ready so I can actually go to sleep. And so I, it just depends on the time of day that I use for, for a recipe. The color stuff is a lot of fun, but, but this stuff is also really, I think useful in terms of, you know, there's blue light versus yellow light and, and using the and taking yeah, advantage that, that's of that. the real, that's kind of the real world use of it is do you want like it used to drive me crazy when they first came up with CFLs they were so ugly and they were so blue they were well I guess when they very first arrived when when I very first got CFLs they were super yellow and everybody looked like they had jaundice and then at some point they got like a super bright bluish white light which was just too far the other way yeah and they've gotten better since then but it's it's really remarkable if you go in and set this to like a really bright blue, energetic, white blue setting like I did at 6, yesterday, 6, 6 o'clock yesterday morning. My wife walked in. She's like, what, it, what, what did you do in here? I was like, oh, these are energy lights. Yeah. <laughs> they're kind of, they're ugly, but they will kind of give you some energy. Yeah, no, we've, we've had that conversation in our house as well. But, it's- you know, this is, I guess, you know, like I say, this is all kind of new to me, but this is where we were away for a couple of days recently. And it was really neat to be able to say things like, you know, um, at a certain time, at I did actually ended up doing most of it manually because I didn't trust myself with all the recipes. But you can do things like say ten minutes before sunset, you know, turn on these lights in this one place. If you detect motion in this area, turn this light on and leave it on for an hour. So you can make a pretty plausible looking real life scenario at your house. And then with stuff like drop cam, which I'm, I'm kind of blown away by, yeah. you can then observe what's happening at your house to kind of assure yourself that that things are the way they should be. So, so let's talk about drop cam because I had a drop cam for a while, and um, I it, it, it's gone back now, and it it kind of freaked me out a little bit, and I just couldn't quite get over the idea of there being a camera 
in my house. And so I, I had it for a month or so to, to demo it. And I, I posted a review of it. And I thought from a technology standpoint, it, it was it was undoubtedly a great product. I mean, it had it had great quality images, the the apps worked pretty well. I mean, I had some issues with some of the scheduling stuff, but but overall, the app worked really well. Um, the cloud service I could see being very useful. Uh, I could see it being especially useful to maybe a small business who wanted to use it in, in lieu of maybe one of those closed circuit type systems. And but maybe I'm a different audience, you know, being being single, I don't necessarily need to watch, you know, kids or babysitters or things like that to see if they're home and behaving or things. But I couldn't quite get over the fact that there's a camera in my house. Yeah. Well, I have it. I have a planet at our front door, uh, which which you can see through. And so I'm able to see what's happening outside our front door. That's what I'm interested in. I'm not going to okay. monitor the inside of the house, right. but I want to know if, if somebody tried to make a delivery, I want to see if somebody's doing something out front that's a little squirrely. Uh, and what, what, so what's neat about it is it's a, not quite a fisheye. It's not super distorted, but it's a pretty wide view camera. I got the drop cam pro and you just hang it up there, point it down. And I don't know how long ago did you test it? Um, about a month and a half ago. Okay, so they probably had this, but it's got things like automatic night vision mode. So when all your lights are off, it's it's remarkable what this thing does in low light. It's pretty bananas, like what it's able to see. The really, the really amazing two two amazing things about it, I think, are it is very easy to set up. You just you just put it on your network, good to go. Two things that are amazing about it, um, it has what it calls a, a CVR service, where it basically, you can sign up for the service, depending on how much you want to sign up for, where it'll like keep, it'll keep a, a tape, if you like, of what's happened in the past. That's kind of cool. If you want to go back and see, oh, maybe with somebody casing the house or something, in an extreme example. But that's pretty cool. But the, the real money shot is that it has a learning algorithm. Now, I, I've really screwed this up by moving the camera several times to try and get different, better angles. But basically what happens is it just watches over the first week or so that the camera's set up. But it learns repeating patterns and then allows you to name what those patterns are. So you can probably see this best by just visiting the Dropcam page. Like You could tell, is somebody using the refrigerator right now? Is somebody walking in and out the back door? And so forth. But it gets pretty smart at knowing, like, well, was that just a flash of light? Was that a person entering next door? So on and so forth. I think it's a, it's a, very, it's a very clever idea. And especially, for example, let's say you've got like a rental unit or you've got like a, like a, a vacation home where there shouldn't be anything happening and you don't want to have to stand there and look at it, this thing will let you know that something happened. And then when you pop open the app, either on the web or on your iPhone, you'll see, like imagine a timeline across the bottom of the screen, right? Representing time. And you'll see little colored bars to indicate activity. So all you do is scrub to that point on the tape where activity was and it plays you what happened with sound right there. And also it does have a mic so you can talk to people over the camera. But it's, I think it's, it's very clever. I mean, again, it's all very new, but if, if I were the sort of person who had something like a vacation home or some kind of a property I wanted to monitor, it, it's really great. It's, again, it's not super expensive. But uh, yeah, and if you do have a bunch of kids and you want to monitor whether somebody left the refrigerator door open, I guess it's good for that too. But I, I was, I, I, again, I feel like I need to reset the algorithm part because I've moved it around and I think I've confused it. It thinks that flashes of lights are people walking dogs and things like that. But um, uh, I found that I found that super interesting. And then the idea that you could, you know, if you did subscribe to the CVR service, you'd have the ability to go in and go back and say, oh, that's a really funny thing. Look, that's when somebody surprised us with flowers. Let me turn that into a clip and export it and I can post it somewhere. That's kind of cool. 
Yeah, I, well, I, I, I get you. I get you on the just so you know, Katie. Though I get you on the creepy part. That yeah. is kind of creepy to have that like in your bedroom or something. Oh well, of course that's where I kept it. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, good for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the, I, I haven't got into the cameras yet for some reason. I know I, we've had listeners write in that set up very complicated home security systems with these cameras, and they've come so far. But uh, you know, I'm not sure I need it or not. I did buy. I got hooked into this Canary uh, Kickstarter campaign. Has that has that is, come yet? No, it hasn't. I keep no. getting emails from. Them. I guess they're getting closer, and it's supposed to monitor and do sound, and it has a whole bunch of, of sensors in it, and hopefully that will connect to it. That's in that. But I haven't, I haven't done the camera yet. I'm not sure where I'd use it. What is that? It's a uh, well, it's a Kickstarter project. It's it's kind of like a home safety product. So it's got a video camera. It also tracks motion, temperature, air quality, vibration, sound. <laughs> it does a whole bunch of things. You can go to canary.is, and, and I'll put it in the show notes. I think they're they're allowing you to buy them now uh, outside of the Kickstarter. You can pre-order it. But it's it's like a host of sensors and a little device that you stick on the, on the wall or on a shelf. I guess I would say, like, I realize now after all this talking about it, this is a pretty probably a pretty nerdy topic. That's either this is one of those horrible topics that's either like you already know everything about this as a listener or you don't care probably. But the, all I can say is that two, the two selling points to this, I think, for a civilian are, first of all, the automation of things. Like you don't need to necessarily have green and purple lights flashing at your house. I understand that does not strike you as probably as very valuable. But the idea of having background automation stuff along the lines of, again, and I, I, I would advocate for trying smart things just because it makes it so easy to set this up. The little basic bits of logic you can set up inside the app. You can either, there's these, there's all these great little smart apps. You could say like, for example, I put one of these sensors. If you put the sensor in a strong box, if that box moves, let me know. Something like that. Again, the liquor cabinet. If, if, if the liquor cabinet opened when I wasn't home, like, let me know. But just really, to me, really background stuff that you, you know, we talked before about one reason I love OmniFocus, and I always worry this sounds like faint praise. I love OmniFocus for taking care of all the things I never want to have to think about. All the things I hate thinking about going to OmniFocus, and that's why I love it. All the stuff I don't want to worry about. I don't want to worry if for some reason my front door is open. And by the way, SmartThings does also work with smart with locks. So you can have stuff like if I walk, if I have my iPhone in my hand and I'm walking up, unlock the door. In Katie's case, if the garage door goes up and all in caps, Boolean, and I'm present, then unlock this particular door. Or right. for that matter, if I leave and do this, lock the door. For stupid, paranoid people like me who will sit there and worry for a day that they that they left something open, it's a nice peace of mind. Yeah. And, and again, to have things like, you know, basically let me know if the mail has arrived. You can put one of these on your mailbox. That, I think, I guess the two things that I would say is the automation part for anybody. You don't have to do loony, goofy stuff with this. Basic automation. When I'm here, do these kinds of things. If I'm not here for a certain length of time, do these other things. Switch into this, what I call away mode. When I'm in away mode, all these things happen. If there's unexpected activity, let me know. So that, that automation piece. And then I think there's just something kind of neat about the ability I'm not putting this well. It's kind of the same thing. Automation in terms of stuff I don't want to have to think about, but then also to know that I can have peace of mind that if I want to peek in on my cat, I can do that. And having that ability to do this in a, in a private way, um, I don't know. I think that's I think that's pretty cool. You don't have to do loony stuff with this, and you don't have to over-automate your life to where you feel like you're in like a Charlie Chaplin movie or something. Well, I can yeah. tell you at my home, the experience was the, the nerd of the family, me, started playing with all this stuff and now all the non-nerds of my family absolutely rely on it and love it yeah 
you know, being able to turn on the lights when you pull up in the driveway and know that you just turn on the lights in the house is, is really nice. And, you know, having the Christmas lights turn on at a certain time and turn off at a certain time without having to think about it is, is, is super. Or being able to be away from your home and turn on the air conditioning because, you know, it's, it's been 110 degrees out today right. and you're going to get right. home and you want the house to be cool when you get home. But you didn't run the air conditioning all day because you didn't need it all day. So this stuff really becomes useful. And again, remember, these, these, the multi-sensors will – I'm looking at this right now. It tells, it tells me the temperature in my garage, the temperature at my front door, the temperature at my kitchen door. Was the kitchen door left open? Things like that. Good to know. But, um, you know, it's – also, you know, it's one of those things talking about security always feels like kind of risky to talk about, but like I've never wanted to have like a burglar alarm. They seem so silly. It seems kind of like how car alarms have gotten where like there's just, you know, there's so many false alarms with that stuff. I just, you know, they say locks were invented to keep the honest people honest, right? I just want to know if, if, for example, like if, if there's motion in this area, like that could be okay. But if I'm away, you know, and I'm in away mode and you see motion in the hallway, that's something I want to know about. That's an event that's really useful for me to know. For example, folks, a lot of folks have basements that can fill up with water and stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, like, you know, I guess none of us, we probably are none, none of us living in basement places. But just having that ability to know those kinds of things or to look for these certain combinations of conditions that you could certainly not do yourself remotely, um, it gives like a certain amount of peace of mind, I think. Yeah. So the multi-sensor for smart things, I'm, I'm shopping now, by the way, um, <laughs> that, that detects um, movement in the room as well, or is it just, it's not like an no, it's IR. Got a, no, no, that's a good question. There's a motion sensor, yeah. which is just a little white plastic thing with a little nub in that sticks out. Yeah. And, and uh, no, but the, uh, are you on the page for things, smart sense, multi-sensor? Yeah. On yeah. Amazon. Yeah. So this thing's uh, crazy. I mean, it, it's, I should send you a screen grab, but when you're adjusting it, like for example, on the door, when I, when I was setting it up, you see in real time, like on three axes where this thing is located, it is detecting down to like degrees. What, so you could say things like it's, and like I say, it does vibration, it does movement. It does, is it a little open? Is it super open? So it becomes more than just a door sensor. It's really a sensor that you could use for, for any kind of thing involving primarily, I guess, movement and position. And then the motion sensor is a different dingus that just uses motion. But then you can combine all, like I say, you can combine all these things together. If there's vibration or motion on this multi-sense device, um, Anyway, you see where I'm going with this. Yeah, and, right. I, and I, I keep repeating myself, but the great thing about this stuff is now I can use a smart thing multi-sensor to control a Hue light system. Yeah, you could say if, if the drop cam indicates movement, it'll send an email to this place. If it's, if it's indicated movement on this drop cam, turn on the Philips Hue lights at this level or make sure that my door, garage door is closed or, or whatever it is. Yeah. Very cool. Crazy. Hey, let's stop and talk about our second sponsor today, which is, uh, appropriately, Omni Group. Uh, Marlon just has mentioned how he likes OmniFocus. You know what? I'm a big fan, too. Uh, the OmniFocus is is really my my fundamental app. We were going to talk about sticky apps at one point. Well, that's this is my number one sticky app. It just handles so many things for me. I've got various responsibilities in my life between being a dad and, and having my day job and then doing the Max Barkey thing. I could never keep track of it all without OmniFocus. And what it does is it allows you to do really four things. The first thing is it allows you to capture 
tasks as they occur to you. And it's very important that you get them out of your brain really quickly, because if you try and hold on to that stuff, you're never going to do it. I know that I've got about a 10 second window of opportunity when I think of something I need to do. If I don't get it into my system right away, then I've got a problem. So OmniFocus makes it really easy. On the iPhone, you can just tap and save in the app, or even you can just use Siri to save a task to OmniFocus. On the Mac, they've got a keyboard combination. I mean, they've thought about this from every direction. If you use the OmniSync uh, service to sync your OmniFocus task, you can even forward an email to a special magical email address they'll give you, and the task will show up in your OmniFocus uh, task list. So I, I just think the capture is one of the things that, that make this whole system work. Uh, the next piece you need in a good, reliable task management system is the ability to process tasks. And in OmniFocus, they got that covered too. They've got context, they got projects. It's all customizable and it's fast. Um, you know, you can go through on the Mac and you can select multiple items. Um, just about every way that you want to organize your tasks, OmniFocus can handle that for you. And they've got this great thing called forecast mode on the iOS versions, where you can not only see the tasks you've got lined up for today, but you can see tasks you've got lined up in the future. And that is, to me, key. I, I love the ability on Sunday night to be able to forecast the whole week and just take a look through what I've got lined up for the next week and see which days are already going to be a train wreck and start making plans or start moving things so I don't you know, set myself up for failure. And OmniFocus makes that possible. I mean, the next thing you need to do with a task system is you need to complete tasks. And OmniFocus delivers on that, too. They've got a great new version for the iPhone, OmniFocus 2, that it's just awesome. And they've got um, the, the versions on the iPad and the Mac work great as well. Uh, you know, something about OmniFocus that I really love is the ability to put a task off into the future at some distant time. Uh, about eight months ago, I had a conversation with somebody who said, I'm not going to have an answer for you until March. And so I put a task in for last week to call this person to get an answer. And it showed, and I forgot about it, didn't think about it at all. And then last week it showed up in my OmniFocus list. I called the guy. He didn't know what to think because I had remembered to call him. He thought that I had kept that in my head the whole time. And, uh, <laughs> He's <you> know, a witch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it really freaked him out. And I, I didn't set him straight. You know, I'm just going to tell the, the listeners of the Mac Power users that's how I did it. But this guy, I want him to think I'm a witch. So that worked out for me. Uh, and then the last piece of a good task management system, which frankly nobody else does, is a review system. And OmniFocus does that in spades. They've got all this history with with getting things done. And I don't want to say OmniFocus is a getting things done system because people who haven't read the getting things done book get by just fine without it. But the, the idea of doing a review is really essential and I find that any time in my life that I find myself kind of going upside down, in fact, you know, you and I were talking about this recently, Merlin, and, and I need to go back and do a really good review and start, you know, cutting things out and, and getting my life back sorted out. And OmniFocus makes that possible. One of the things I like about the review system is the way you can set a variable review times. So there may be some project that isn't a real high priority project that I will only review once every six months. And there'll be others that I review every few days. It's it's all up to you. In fact, one of my tricks lately is I set a recurring task on my calendar every Friday at 4 p.m. Just called, you know, week review. 
And I go through the week and I also go through and review whatever's outstanding OmniFocus and that really helps. Either way, uh, go check it out. They've got a new iPhone version. They've got a version for the Mac and the iPad as well. You can get it at the Mac App Store, the iOS App Store, or even at omnigroup.com. Let them know you heard about them from us. And if you want to learn more, go to maxsparky.com. I've got a whole page of OmniFocus screencasts there because I, I love the app so much I keep making little screencasts about it. And uh, and help yourself get ahead. OmniFocus can do that for you. Thanks, Omni Group, for sponsoring the Mac Power users. So I think we've we've pretty much covered automation. And David, one of the topics that that you had here well, that wait 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 no, you know you got we got more I got more oh boy you got more this is a I whole automation show jeez <laughs> what um so you you had put Sonos in the island have you played with that yet no okay I was just I was trying to um uh uh you know I, I knew that you had used it yeah I I'm now unapologetically a Sonos fan. And I'm looking at this uh, smart things. It looks like they've got some kind of Sonos hook. And and the last piece of, of home automation is this Revolve device. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been reading about it. I think everybody has. I don't understand what they're trying to do with it. Um, I, I well, I think I, I, I'm, 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 it's still early here. Forgive yeah. me. Uh, so I'm still waking up a little bit. I think the um, I think the, the you know. I think they're trying to, at the heart of it, uh, pull together all of these different services under the aegis of this one functional um, hub. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not sure how much they make on their own. Uh, it is, you know, and the, part of the reason I suggest getting that smart thing starter pack, which I imagine you'll probably put in show notes, is that it, it is really, you don't have to go there and look at all of these seemingly identical looking dinguses and devices and go, even with Wemo, you're like, wait a minute. So this is the Wemo that's got a switch and a motion sensor. Is the motion sensor the same as the, like, what is this? You know, starting out with something nice and simple will let you get your hands around this and, and, and figure it all out. I suspect, uh, I, I'm trying to see, I think I saw this on wire cutter. Um, one of the very few tech websites I read, Wirecutter had done some coverage of CES and said that Revolve looked like it was going to be a real up-and-comer in-home automation because it did simplify the setup of a lot of these things and, and maintenance of a lot of these things. So my, I'll be prepared to be wrong about this, but I think it's kind of going to try to do what a combination of what the individual apps do, I think, combined with what IFTTT does, I think. Yeah. So there would be one one place, one app that you go to to do all of these different things. Because certainly, as as you learn, I've learned this very quickly myself. Anyway, it's very easy to unintentionally kind of clobber recipes with other recipes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you know, you, if if you're the one who's trying to do all that logic in your head, it's pretty easy enough to say like, "Well, no, no, I, you told me to turn on this light, but then you said if you're not here, don't turn on the light." So you know, what do I do? Yeah. So I, I think that's what it's for. What do you think it's for? Well, it's just I just re- they they support Philips, the Hue lights, the Yale Lock, Sonos, Belkin, and Insteon, which is a service I'm not familiar with, but they are lighting switches and motion sensors. It, I think you, your your initial call at the beginning of the show is probably it looks to me like it's really almost a competitor to the Smart Sense stuff. Smart it, things. Smart things. Yes, and and they don't they don't list Smart Things on the web page for Revolve. So. But, you know, you're right. This is going to be fun to go back and listen to in a few years because it's going to be all different. But I'm okay with that. I remember – all I'm saying is 
I remember when I very first, I, I was still was using my old laptop from the dot-com job. That was my severance from the dot-com job. I had, uh, you know, a 1999 um, uh, PowerBook, and I had to go out and buy a, a card in order to get Wi-Fi on it. And anytime I wanted to use Wi-Fi, I had to take out my laptop, which weighed like, like 45 pounds, and plug in this giant card that would stick out of the side of it. And it still, it felt like a revolution. It's like watching, you know... Um, Michael Douglas walking down the beach talking on his enormous phone, you know, I, yeah. it, it is definitely the infancy, but it's, it's, it's very interesting to me. And I, I'll tell you why I'm interested in these particular devices. I know they're not perfect in, in terms of their openness, but you know, again, look at this, the Sonyization, the iPhoneification. everybody wants to be the hub that can control everybody else's stuff, but they maybe don't want to make their stuff too permissive about working with other places. I'm very interested in when we get to a point where it is like a protocol, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Where there's something that develops along the lines of like 802.11b uh, at the time. But something where there's a protocol that everybody can use to talk to all the different devices. There's a standardized kind of API for all the devices if, in, in as much as that's possible. But no, you're, we're going to have to suffer through these weird days. And, <laughs> and, uh, and maybe occasionally having purple lights that turn off when we don't expect it. <laughs> well, but it really is the perfect intersection for people like us because – Using a service like If This Then That, you can make things happen with all the traditional automation stuff that we love, you know, like Hazel or Keyboard Meister or whatever. And you can actually make stuff in the physical world happen. You know, it, it, if the Red Sox win, turn all the lights red. I could do that in my house. And that makes me giddy, just the fact that I can. Uh, sports. Yeah, no, Sports, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I noticed there was one in the um, in the Phillips to make your house the color of like the San Francisco Giants and stuff. It's like, oof. I'm not sure. <laughs> that's a little on the nose for me. Yeah, but just you know, just the idea, you know, that like a document. I like could- the I like the snow light by the door. That is clever. Well, there's other. I mean, like, gosh, there's so many devices we haven't even talked about. There's you know all the, what's that little dingus? Who one of your guests had this? It's the little dingus you put on your desk and it changes colors and does different things based on stuff in the world. What is that thing called? I don't know. I don't remember talking about that. But there's like a little, like one of those think geek things you can get that yeah, basically right. blink this red if my stock goes up or whatever, things like that. I think things like that are, are, are a pretty clever idea. And, you know, I just think it's a matter of time before that becomes better integrated. Like right now, I, I like as we're sitting here, um, there's been, a, there's, my wife is doing some stuff at the house. So like I've been getting these notifications over and over and over this whole time. That's, it's still a blunt instrument. I can go in and make that work better for me. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it's if you are somebody like like a TJ or a Brett or or a you know, a Dr. Drang. I mean, somebody who has a programmatic mind. There are ways to put this stuff together that's that's not completely bananas, and you won't be playing with it all the time. But again, all along the lines of Gmail, it'll let me know if something important happens, and that's valuable to me. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, was that boring? That was kind of boring, wasn't it? No, no. no. I think it's it's uh, fun, yeah. and I think a lot of our listeners are interested in this stuff. So I'm glad you shared. Um, I think it is time, though, to move on. Now, we've got this other topic, and it was something that, that you and I were talking about in terms of stickiness of applications. And it's something that, you know, we because we've done five shows, and we've talked about a lot over the years, and it got me thinking, well, what are the applications that, that stay with you? I mean, we talk about a lot of things on this, this show. The, one of the things that brought this to my mind is we recently did a show on calendaring, and I gave, uh, you know, short attention to calendars five which is a great calendars app 
But the problem is that Fantastical 2 has become so essential to me that I spent all the time talking about that. And we kind of ran out of time to get into Calendars 5. And I got some emails from some listeners saying, hey, you didn't really give that enough credit. It's a really great app. And the reason why I didn't is because Calendars 2, I'm sorry, Fantastical 2 has been so sticky with me that I've kind of stopped looking at the other competition. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is it that makes that happen? I mean, why are some apps like that? I mean, there's some very good apps that don't stick with me. And and it doesn't seem like it's really uh, easy to predict what's, you know, what apps are going to stick and not. So I got thinking about that. You know, what is, what is it that makes an app st- stick? Is it the learning curve? I think part of it for me is the delight in an application. Like when I when I use sticking with the uh, Fantastic L2 application, I just like the way it looks. I like the way it gives me a simple, you know, list view. Now they, they've added that to 7.1, Katie. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the yep. calendar? But I don't care. I'm sticking with Fantastic L2. Uh, there's just certain parts of it. I like the but way wait, that... But why do you have to choose? I mean, can't yeah. you use both? Well, there's going to be one on my home screen. Hmm. And when I'm going to open my calendar, that's the one I'm going to keep. I, I have got all these applications that are of interest on my phone. I, I'm not just deleting them all. But uh, for the day in, day out, when I'm sitting somewhere and I need to know where I need to be next, I'm going to open the one that's on my home screen. So that, that's the one that gets the most use. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I, um, I I, I guess, I mean, when you think about things like brands of milk and stuff like that, well, I, I wouldn't have four brands of milk at a time, and I don't really care that much because milk is mostly milk. In in the case of an application, I think it has to do with you always kind of start out with where you are right now. And so whatever app gets in front of you, if it ends up on your phone in this case, uh, it has to, on the face of it, it has to be appealing in terms of how it looks, I guess, because if you open it up and you your eyes start rolling around, you're probably not going to want to spend much time with it. So it has to have some kind of basic visual appeal. But I think it helps it, to get started. It helps that you be able to grok why this is different or for you within the first few times that you use it. It has to kind of make sense. Unless it is like a, a brand new kind of app, in which case it has to appeal to some part of your brain that's curious about how things could be different or work better. And not everybody has that. There are some people who open something, if they don't understand it immediately, they're never going to open it again. It's, it's why you don't see many people, you know, you don't see the secretary using VI very often. So in this instance, though, I think, I think and, if you're a nerd, go ahead. And well, on that point, the, the, the primary example for me of that type of app is drafts. You know, draft showed up. I'd never heard of anything like it before. And I opened it up and I immediately understood it. And it took some work to really make it work for me. But that app is in my dock. It's yeah. that is the ultimate sticky app that I had no no idea I needed. Yeah, me too. It's it almost it's almost like um, if you're somebody who does stuff in a command line interface, the idea of like just the most basic idea of opening a new terminal window. It's just that's where stuff starts. You have to start. You have to start somewhere. And so much of what I do on the, on the iOS starts with me typing something. And it's it, now I have one place, one box that I go to to type everything, and that's drafts. I'll always start in drafts because once I'm in drafts and I start typing, I can go anywhere I want. If I start doing that somewhere else, um, I don't get that flexibility. But I have constant flexibility. And then if I decide to abandon what I'm doing in the middle of it, it saves it as a draft. So, yeah, I agree on drafts. It's But on the other hand, for most folks, if you open up drafts, you're going to look at it and go, okay, so there's a place where you type. Like, that's ooh, a big power user app. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's all the power really is under the hood. Yeah. I think I think an app has to be appealing when you look at it. But 
if, if you're a nerd, how, how, maybe the better question or, or the question for this show is what makes a, an app stick with a, with a geeky nerdy type? And I think that is that something you consciously or unconsciously are unsatisfied about gets solved in an elegant way. You could call it a hack. You could call it a, a solution, call it whatever you want, but you open up something like Fantastical or increasingly calendars. You open it up and realize that you can type, uh, what is, I think in Fantastical say something like, you know, um, call with Katie Monday, 7 PM slash W. And that adds that to my work calendar and lets me invite Katie to that call. Wow. How crazy is that? And then when I open it up in calendars, wait a minute, there's a special icon because it recognizes that that's a phone call. That's kind of cool. That solves a couple different problems that, that have been uh, thorny for me. I get, you know, one of the limitations of iOS is there's only so much you can do on the screen at one time. And having something that can take some of that burden off of me is extremely useful to me. And then watching it, as you said before, David, watching Fantastical fill in all of those things in real time while you're typing it, it's what makes Google now so much more interesting than Siri, is you can tell it, you can watch it working for you in real time. Yeah. So well, that solves think, a real problem. And some of the things is it, it solves these problems that you didn't even know you have. And and that's when it's so clever because before Fantastical came out, uh, you, there there might have been other natural language, you know, search calendar type applications, but you know, did you know that's we always just put calendar events on our calendar the same way we previously did. And now I can't imagine putting an event on my calendar any other way. Yeah, and here's here's the most basic one. Maybe you, you remind me of something else, Katie, which is resistance. I think you know uh, resistance is hard to identify because it, it's like it's like trying to prove a negative. Like, why didn't you do this thing? <laughs> I don't know. I just didn't. <laughs> As I like to say, why 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 did I not buy this album? Like, why am I not a potted fern? Like, I, I don't know how you prove a negative. But that's what resistance is. Resistance is this weird little kind of baseline buzz where, for example. Before Fantastical, how were you more or less likely before Fantastical to identify that an event should go on a calendar other than your default calendar? For myself, I was much more likely to just use my default calendar. Why? Because I didn't want to have to hit OK, go somewhere else, select this thing, have like essentially two or three extra clicks to get to that point. But now I do that all in the same window. How about this? Maybe a a different, a non-conventional length of event. Before it was easy to identify, I want this to go from, uh, let's say, 115 to 145, right? Yeah. Wouldn't you have just been likely to say like something like a oh, one o'clock and have it fill in for an hour? Like you, now that you have that ability, that sharper knife to do that, I, I'm much more likely to utilize all of those things. Now that I know that I can do it, put differently, I'm much likely I've identified a resistance I didn't even know was there before. In the same way that, for example, OmniFocus added the quick entry. I, I never realized how much stuff I was not capturing because I didn't want to have to go somewhere to do it. I didn't realize how much I wouldn't switch between apps before Quicksilver because I didn't want to have to think about where that app was located and whether I had two copies of it and was this, and so forth. So resistance is the kind of thing where you may not even know you have resistance to doing a better version of something until you find something that affords that being done easier. And Fantastical, I think, is a pretty great example of that. I think Drafts is a great example of that. Like, why would you, you know, sometimes you just need to write stuff. I think Gabe said this, somebody said this recently, but like drafts makes you rethink the way you use your phone in a way that's really going to be perplexing to most people. Because most people are going to start out and go, 
oh, I need to contact such and such person. Or no, really what they might say is I need to text Jim. So what does that mean? That means you open your phone and you start typing into that silly little box in the text app. Now, what happens if you realize partway through, wow, this is really long for a text or, hmm, you know, this is actually more of a calendar event for me. Most people would never in a million years think of that. They blame themselves for not thinking better from the start. Drafts lets you do allows you a completely more freeform way of thinking, which is all I know is I need to write something right now and I'll worry about where it goes in a second. Type, 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 type. Now, all those options I just gave you are all options inside of of drafts or for that matter, editorial. I want to go do this thing with the text that I just made. So that's, in some ways, that seems like a very subtle difference. I'm going to go type a draft here before I put it into, into this text. No, I'm going to go type something here and then decide what I have to do about it. The important part is not where it goes yet. The important part is the writing it down. And then once I've written it, a la a draft of a book, I don't, you may not know the title of your book till the book is done. I don't know what this thing is for until I'm done writing it. I need to get it out of my head first. And one of the things I do with drafts is I use the syncing feature. So a lot of times I only add text on the you stop mid word, stop mid word, do something else. The draft is saved automatically. Yeah. And then you can go on the iPad later and actually deal with it and decide, well, what am I going to do with this? You thing? can go on a different device and it will be there in the exact same state that you left it. Yeah. Now, some apps just don't stick for whatever reason. And, and here's an example of one that I've been struggling with launch center pro. I re- I know that it is beneficial. I know that this is an app that I could get a lot of use out of. I have picked it up and I have tried on three or four separate occasions to use Launch Center Pro, but I've never been able to get it to stick for me. Now, do you have any thoughts about why certain apps just don't stick? Is that just because my muscle memory is so ingrained to go do something the other way? That's a perfect example. Unfortunately, unfortunately for that wonderful application, um, Launch Center Pro, if Launch Center Pro on any other platform, there would be a way to make Launch Center Pro the Quicksilver of your, right. I, of your OS. Because that's, that's what we want. Is. That's what we want. We want the Quicksilver yeah, but, but, or the Launch Bar or the Alfred or whatever. But in, 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 uh, in the best case, you'll have Launch Center Pro in your dock. In a more common case, you know, the thing is for most people to try and make it stick, it's not going to make it in the dock until they love it, right? So right. it's going to have to be somewhere, maybe not even on the homepage. But let's say it's on the second page. So it occurs to you that you want to do this thing really fast with an app like Drafts or Launch Center Pro. Well, first you got to remember to use it and you got to go there. And then you got to find it, you go there, you click on it, and then you click again to do something. Well, there's like, how do you remove like three of those steps? In order for that app to stick, it would need a gesture. Like if you had a gesture, think about that. Think about like if you ever use an Android phone, how you can draw a pattern to unlock it. Or think about how you can do like the different swipes with your fingers on your iPad. Imagine in a fantasy world, imagine that on your iPad, you could say, do you guys use a better touch tool? Yes. So you've heard Brett talk about what you can do with Better Touch Tool. Yeah, it's awesome. Where you could basically, you could play like uh, the opening riff from Beethoven's Fifth and have that open an app for you or something like that Yeah, as a piano player, right? So you could come up with, let's say you could do a, a gesture on the iPad that was like make a five-finger claw and tap on the screen twice, then swipe out. Something like as crazy as that. And that would open Launch Center Pro. If you could do gesture and click, that would be the most powerful app you've ever used in your life and you'd never stop using it. It's just that it's not that simple to get there. In order to utilize all the amazing convenience of Launch Center Pro, you have to at very least open it from another app, 
well, so you have to go back to the home screen, get out of the app you're in, go somewhere. Is this making sense? No, that's exactly no, it's, it's, the, it's, the, the it's very It's very difficult. It, it's like having, and this is, has nothing to do with the app. I love the app. I love David. I love the, 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 what they do is amazing. But unfortunately, it's a little bit like having the world's lightest wallet that you have to keep inside of two suitcases. It's like you can't get to the utility of that until you've gotten out of the app you're in, back to the springboard or the home screen, and then opening that app and then clicking on something. So I, I think with the exception of maybe the four finger swipe, which most people don't do, it's not dirty. With the exception of the four finger swipe, <laughs> you're pretty much always at least, check my math, two clicks away. Yeah, I think from, you are. And that's why it's hard to make it stick. You know, and, and then that's setting aside the fact that you've got to be nerdy to want to use this app in the first place and configure it and know, like, you know, the extremely clever ways that they've hacked on iOS to where you can have the long pause, like the long click to get into something. And it's a brilliant app that just suffers from the limitations of iOS, unfortunately. That's, yeah. that's why that one in particular doesn't... I, I think. Does yeah, that make just, sense, Katie? No, it, it totally does. And and maybe the only way I'm going to have a fair shot at using it is to actually put it in my dock and take something out of my dock and, and use it there. But I've tried putting it on the home screen right above my dock, and it you know it, it eventually migrates back to the second page. And then I never open it again. Yeah, and the know. problem is when you open it, while you're waiting for it to open, you look at the screen and you're thinking, well, I could already be in whatever app it is I want to be doing something in. And <laughs> yeah. Also, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a dirty little secret. When I was a web developer, something we knew back in the, in the black hat days of the web, um, we knew that on our, on our, on our janky.com website, we, we want you to fill out a, a form and you fill out this form to get a free magazine. And that free magazine would be used as a lead that was given to real estate agents. And so the thing is, if we gave you a, a big, and this was a nice, it was the, at the time, the only four color full size real estate magazine in America. It was really nice to get one of these magazines mailed to you. You could order like three of them. It's really cool. But if we gave you that form on one page that had all the information we need to make this worth giving you these magazines, we needed lots of lead information. Are you looking for a house? Where? How much money do you want to spend? And so forth. If we put that all on one page, nobody would ever do it. So you know what we did? This was my innovation because I was real smart in 1999. We had the first page say, uh, get a free magazine, name, first name, last name, uh, and then something, something fun like, you know, uh, how soon are you looking for a house or something like that. And then when you click to submit, it takes you to the next page. And the next page has another like 10 fields on it. You click it again, you get to that third page. And like, you're so, they're so mad at this point, but you know what? I'm almost there. I can't stop now. Sunk costs. (laughs) It's sunk costs. They've already, the fact that as soon as you got them to type one thing in that stupid form, um, they had, now they have sunk costs. Now they've already invested something in this and they might as well finish it. This sounds so stupid, but that's what makes drafts and, um, the launch center different. It's because with drafts, I know that the second I go in there, I'm going to start typing something that I'll want to do something with. But my investment, I've already cognitively invested in that app. Yes, in terms of learning the app and, and tweaking the app and adding things to the app. But also, I've cognitively invested in terms of each time I use it, I'm putting more information immediately rather than just interacting with the buttons. Does, that sounds silly, but does that make sense? Like, yeah. I, I, there's some sense. cost to going in and going. And so that's, that's, that's part of what it is. And I feel terrible saying this because I love that application. It has the power inside of it 
to do so much. It's just that for me, being a text-based person, so much of what I can get out of an app like that comes out of interacting via something like drafts or increasingly uh, editorial. I want to keep talking about this, but I feel like we do need to take a quick break and talk about our third sponsor for this episode, um, an app that definitely has stuck for me. And that is our good friends over at Text Expander. And I don't know if you've noticed, but Text Expander has spent some time over the last month or so, and they are updating all of their apps for iOS. Last month, they got the PDF pen family of apps updated for iOS. This month, they've got Text Expander updated for iOS, uh, and their refresh and facelift really looks great. And Text Expander is an app that I use every day, multiple times a day. In fact, just this morning before we were getting ready to record this podcast, I had to send out a series of letters to people that all had the same basic content. And I typed out the letter and I was getting ready to copy and paste the letter over to new letterhead for another letter. And I thought, you know, this is absolutely ridiculous. I'm going to send out this letter, you know, 20 times over the course of the next year. I'm going to make a text expander snippet for this. And so what text expander allows you to do is turn snippets of text, whether it's just a few words or a few characters, or maybe it's an entire letter or an entire couple of pages uh, of a contract that you want to work with, put it into text expander. Uh, and so I created fill in snippets for this letter, dear blank, insert name here. Uh, this letter is to let you know that your current balance is blank, insert amount here. And then I was putting in, you know, payment plans and terms and I had fill-in snippets for this and I had a drop-down snippet for, you know, option one is you can pay in full and you can pay this amount. Option two is you can pay in installments and you can pay this amount and I could choose whether I wanted option one or option two in this specific letter. And within about two minutes, I had a text expander snippet fully created for this customizable letter. And so the next time I created that letter later today, I just typed in you know, three letters, which was my text expander abbreviation for this particular uh, snippet. And that letter appeared magically on my screen. Click, click, click. I made my options for how I wanted that letter to appear based on the criteria I set up in text expander. And boom, I was able to pump out five letters within a matter of minutes and and off they went and now they're done. And that is the power of text expander, whether you're making letters, whether you are filling in your email signature, whether you're just typing your name. And, you know, David, I know you had a good post on Max Sparky recently. You know, I spent a, a good amount of time creating text expander snippets for things that I'm going to use over and over and over again. But text expander snippets don't have to be forever. And you talked a lot about the value of these short-term or these throwaway snippets where maybe you're just working on a particular project and you find yourself typing the same thing over and over again. Well, if you're going to type it five times or 10 times or 20 times, even if you're only going to do it for the next week, set up a text expander snippet and save yourself the time for that particular week. You can always go back in and throw them out later. Thanks to your article, and I know Dr. Drang wrote on this well, I created a text expander folder called Temp that I can store these temporary snippets in. And if I don't need them at some point, I, I go out and clean them out. So there are all kinds of great things you can do with Text Expander. You can find more information over on their website at smilesoftware.com. You can pick up Text Expander for the Mac for $34.95. Or if you want to give it a try before you buy, you can download a demo version on their website. Uh, there's also Text Expander Touch for iOS. Um, and as we talked about earlier, Text Expander Touch is getting a facelift for iOS 7 in March, and you can pick that up for $4.99. So thanks to the fine folks at Smile for their support of Mac Power users. Yeah, I like those throwaway snippets. I use that all the time. It's a great trick. 
Um, so let's get back to some sticky apps. Mm. <laughs> I like, um, you know, one that has um, stuck for me, and I think it's because it's the first app that really solved the RSS uh, application for me. The first one that really I thought made sense was Reader with two E's. And I use that for years. And uh, just recently, I've started using a new one called, let me open my phone up, Unread. Have you played oh, with that? Oh, the new one, yeah. Um, I can't remember. No, I, I mean, I think I might have gotten it, but I haven't spent much time with it. That's what's yeah. his heads app, right? Um, yeah. No, what am I thinking of? What's his name? The guy from uh, the internet. What's his name? Yeah, yeah, the guy. That one Jared guy. Sinclair. Yes. Jared Hi, Jared. Sinclair. Yes, it, I, I think I got it, but yeah, I just got so used to how Reader looks, I've just stuck with it. Yeah, and that and there's certain things about Reader, like solving an unknown problem for me, like was the ability to quickly move an article into my Read It Later service. And Reader has the ability to customize that with a, a swipe from the right to the left. So you see your list of articles, you swipe an article, and it immediately goes to your Read It Later services. And it makes going through very quick, Right. Yep. Uh, with with any other application, I've never seen anybody do it this quickly. Unread is an example. It doesn't it doesn't get something to your read it later service without actually a swipe and a tap. So you've got a, that extra step. All that being said, I really like Reader. I like the the whimsy of it. I kind of like reading. I like the way it displays articles. And it's kind of changed my habits because I started looking at all the stuff I was sending to the read it later service. Sometimes something makes things so easy that you do it too often. And I go and look in, you know, an Instapaper or pocket, um, you know, database. And I see all these articles that I'm actually never going to read. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you made me think of something. I, I'm happy to talk about the stickiness, but one, uh, just while I'm thinking of it, one gesture that's really gotten st- – what a horrible word. One, one gesture that <laughs> has really stuck with me recently is the swiping left and right yeah. um, to drill down. So like if you're inside, for example, Reader, R-E-E-D-E-R, Reader on uh, – like I think about using it on the iPhone where you know if you swipe left to right on the screen – you get you move up to like your your like my smart sync folder or my listings all my stuff so i can i can click on say unread boop and that is the same thing essentially as sweeping swe- sweeping to the from the right to left so yes. now i'm in the view of like all the unread things so i can click on one of those items and boop that takes me further in along the lines of like arrowing up and down to get through folders kind of feeling and I, that is, I'll tell you, man, between that, using that in editorial to move between file view, uh, to, to move between folder view, file view, and preview or browser mode, I, you know, I, boy, I'm starting to really feel like any app that doesn't use that model for navigation feels kind of clunky. Like when I'm using, was it Tweetbot? Does Tweetbot do that? Like, I was looking at something in Tweetbot. Let me see if this does this. I think it does. No, Tweetbot doesn't. It uses, but that old school arrow in the upper left hand corner to move back yeah. already feels kind of archaic to me. I really like the swiping to get from place to place. That, that that's that's a funny way that like a little bit of behavior can apply in several different places can start to really accrete. So you know, in terms of especially things like uh, well RSS apps, well what are they really all about? It's about what services they provide. It's about how they look and then how you interact with them. And I think it does either click with you or it doesn't. 
And there's times where something will be like with apps like that, where there are mini competitors or podcast apps, RSS apps, you know, I'll go in and I'll wonder like, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I get into this app the way other people have gotten into this app? And I don't know if there's anything wrong with me. I mean, apart from all the obvious things, but part of it is, I think, just habituation. You just get, you get used to it and looking a certain way and reader really gets out of the way. It's the same way that you like Byword. I, I, I like Byword a lot. I don't use it as much as I used to, but I could get how looking at Byword on iOS, it's so calm and it's so simple. And it's just like, I could see looking at anything else and having it, it look like you're trying to do something in Emacs. Like it, it's just so simple. And that's how I feel about Reader, where I go look at other things. Like, hey, pick one of these themes. You have picked Paris, France as your theme. It's like, Ugh! like it yeah. looks so <laughs> weird. It's like Kaleidoscope on iOS, on OS 9, you know? Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I think part of it is habituation. Back to the earlier thing though, I think a big part of it is like when you find an app that suddenly fixes a problem you either A, knew you had or B, didn't you had that's when you really are likely to make a change do, do you know what i mean and oh, suddenly yeah. you it's like you can't go back like once you've used quicksilver for a couple of weeks for launch bar j random launching app it's really hard to go back to not having that spotlight feels useful as a certain kind of little pairing knife but like you would not want to use that as your swiss army knife for everything it starts to feel real clunky and and the thing is once you find one that solves that unknown problem you build, I, I build a loyalty towards the application and, and an affection for it, which is the case for drafts. I have so much affection for that app and the love he puts into it. And he makes this really great thing. And that kind of explains why LaunchBar hasn't been as sticky for me either, because anything I want to do almost, I can make happen in drafts. But I, I know yeah, it solves it, different problems, but yeah. there's, a, there's overlap. But then take, take an example of something like your sponsor, Text Expander, where Text Expander. You know, um, it, you know, something as simple as I type SDI, bloop, it says, sorry, I don't argue on the internet. That's really handy. That saves me a ton of time. It saves me meta time. To be able to say that and be done with it is wonderful. It's so fast, just SDI. But like you said, Katie, the, then understanding like, wow, I had now have this credibility. This app has credibility with me. Like I, I really trust this app to solve a problem. So I may give it a little, it's like, oh, imagine you got a new assistant and you go, wow, you're really good. So you start giving him more work to do, right? You go, wow, I can right. really trust your, your abilities. And so with Text Expander, when they introduce something like the fill-in forms, you go, oh, I could totally see how I would use that. It's not just some, some flabby thing they just kind of, you know, stapled onto this and hope that people would see a new bullet and buy it. It's actually a super useful thing because the app has credibility and solves a problem you didn't know you had. A problem like something like, you know, and, and as ever in the Apple world, there will always be third party, I guess that's the term for it, but non-Apple apps that solve a problem that Apple hasn't acknowledged yet. So the multiple clipboard problem, there's so many ways we go about trying to solve this. We need more than one clipboard at a time. I want to have a stack that I can put things into. I want to be able to access a clipboard from, you know, six pastes ago. And there are now there are many different ways to do that. Apple still has chosen not to make that something that they'll you know, expose in a user-friendly way, expose as something that you can do something with. But there are all those apps that already know that that's a problem for people. And, you know, once you say to somebody, hey, have you ever wanted something that was in your clipboard like a day ago? And they're like, uh, yeah, I guess I have. I guess it'd be really neat for me to not have to go type this thing. You know, if you're doing blogging, you know, you think about how many parts there are to a blog post. You got a title, you got a link, you got some text, you got an image, like all these different things. That that's murder to do on OS, on on iOS. 
unless you have some ability to deal with multiple clipboards or have something like uh, Earl callbacks and stuff like that. So, yeah. you know, I think that that's one sign of a great developer is they say, I don't know if this is going to be sticky for everybody, but I'm going to make this for somebody who has the same um, itch that I need scratched. And then, you know, that, that then it does become extremely sticky. And then uh, in contrast, uh, an application you've mentioned a few times in the show is editorial, which is really the most powerful text editor on iOS. I think we could all safely say it's got so much behind it. It's got Python. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's amazing. And, and we even did a show on it. I, I think it's a great app, but it hasn't been that sticky for me because when I'm writing on an iPad or an iPhone, usually I'm writing in drafts or by word. I just want to get text in. I don't want to perform a whole bunch of services on it. And I think, I think I need to like spend some more time with editorial, but, but for the, the type of work I do, a lot of the real powerful stuff I do at a Mac and, and this one just hasn't stuck for me and I'm not even sure why. Well, I mean, do, do you need every reason? No. I guess not. I mean, it's like it's yeah. like listening to people when I, when I listen as somebody who does not know how to do anything in Python, does not know how to do anything in Perl, does not know how to do anything of consequence in PHP. When I hear people arguing over which one of those is most useful to me, it's like it might as well be like listening to lumberjacks argue about chainsaws. It's like, well, can't you just pick the chainsaw that works for you and then go cut down some trees? Like, do you do you have to win that argument? Like, yeah. They're all great. Like, yeah. you pick the one, and it seems to me that a lot of people pick what's best for what they need to do right now. And that's what being a, a craftsperson is, is knowing which tool to use for that job. You could probably nail, you could hit enough nails with a screwdriver and do okay, but finding the one hammer that works is going to be, you know, what really works for you. You know, it could just be that it's just not, you know... It is weird. Like I've noticed, for example, like you and I like to read the Hawkeye comic, and I'm—I I hate to admit this. Did you read the new one? No, oh dear. Oh, it's good. It's I feel good. really funny when I meet somebody who likes comics and doesn't like Hawkeye, and it—it's something happens in my brain where like, I feel like does not compute, does not compute. It, we're in like I, I've heard this happen like on Moises's show where like they do an intervention with somebody we're like well are you sure you've given it enough time are you sure because you <laughs> yeah. really should like and that's how I feel I hate to admit it yeah. but I think when you're a nerd and there's something like editorial editorial is kind of like the the Hawkeye of iOS apps in some ways like there's no reason not to love it and use it all the time that <laughs> so, but you know I'm gonna do my intervention here and say it's okay it's okay that you're not that into it. <laughs> it really is. As long as you like drafts, because it'd be really weird. That's like not liking Saga. Am yeah. I right, Katie? High five up in the air. <laughs> <Okay>. huh? <laughs> I, I like I like editorial. I just don't find I use it that often because when I'm when I'm working on the the iOS platform, usually if I'm doing anything with text, I just want to get text in. And and the big advantage for me of Byword is it shows up everywhere. And you can say what you want about iCloud, but the iCloud sync for Byword is great. I do say what I want about iCloud constantly. Yeah, I know. It's it okay. needs to be said. <laughs> I, I agree. But in terms of Byword, I write something there on my phone. I just open up Byword on my phone. Yeah. I can dictate or write in something. I show up on my Mac, it's there. I can do whatever. I can run whatever services I want at that point. But um, but I have all of these articles saved because Federico has been doing a great job of, of posting on all the great stuff he's doing with editorial. So the next time I have downtime, I'm going to spend some quality time reading that those, all those nerdy articles and figure out what I need to do. Maybe maybe yeah. there maybe there's some hope for me. Maybe I will get into Hawkeye after all. <laughs> <laughs> the I'm, new one is good though. Yeah, it's, they're all good. Christmas Christmas episode, cri cri Christmas uh, issue in March. It's great. Now, well, now this, you know, 
David David has his uh, has his own pace for drawing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, very unusual in a, in a in a comic that's that popular to see them skip an issue. <laughs> that was pretty funny. I'm very sympathetic. Yeah. Didn't they go like 16, 15, 17? Yeah, I, I yeah. was very confused for a while, but it, it all worked out. And Katie Kate. I'm going to call you Katie Kate from now on, Katie Floyd. Okay. I, yeah, no, I don't, yeah. I don't do any comics. Well, that's a shame. So you you want just... to tell you about some good ones? Oh, boy. Yeah, please. Please tell me. <laughs> please tell well, me about I know comics. You, I know um, you like those Klingons on Babylon 5. So I love you would probably the Klingons really like on Saga. Babylon 5. Yeah. yeah, you would love Saga. I think she would like Saga. Of course she would like Saga. She's being obdurate. She's she's doing this. She's doing this. this is a brand thing for Katie Floyd. I understand that. Yeah, she's never going to watch um war games. She's not going to read any comics. No. And she's no. And I'm not going to play video tea. games. And You're I'm so punk rock. I, I will yeah. tell you though, my my grandmother, she's a, a southern granny. Uh she makes the be- Now you don't drink iced tea, do you? And and in the south, it's it's sweet tea. Yep. Yeah. Sweet ice tea. It's very, uh, you understand, I lived in Florida for a very long time. Yes. It's very confusing to people who come to Florida and or and ask for iced tea. And they say, can I get iced tea with sugar? And they're like, uh, yeah. That's all we have. Yeah. But I, right. I saw like asking for a car with a steering wheel. I saw her make it once. And when I saw, after I saw her make it, I just, I could never drink it again because it's, it's like three cups of sugar. <laughs> I know. And I'm just we like. We used to make sun tea. We used to make sun tea. <laughs> oh my gosh. Like, uh, uh, just so right good. up to the saturation point, just enough so it will actually saturate. Not so much that you'll see a, a pile of it in the bottom of the <laughs> And dish, then we right? knit it's our terrifying. own homemade diabetes pants. <laughs> it's terrifying. Yeah. I'm going to make Katie some tea at Macworld. Yeah. And I'm going to take you up to Samovar. Take her to Samovar. She doesn't want to go. She wants coffee. Yeah. No, I'm, I made Pete's coffee. I've never been to a Pete's coffee. Oh my God! You've never been to Pete's Coffee. I've never. We don't have them over here. I've never been. We okay, don't have so them on Hawkeye the East Coast. is one of the Avengers. Okay, but most people don't okay. like Hawkeye. But here's the thing: it's not real. Pete's is good. Pete's is Pete's used to be. It's funny because when around the time people started hating Starbucks because it was, it was cool Starbucks. to hate Starbucks. Yeah. People started people started liking Pete's, and now it's cool to hate Pete's. And now you have to go to places with angry angry baristas with neck tattoos. And I, I wonder what's mm-hmm. going to come after that. Maybe it's going to be English tea ladies. That would be kind of cool. I know Pete's makes pretty good tea. I'll tell you that. I, I have this uh, image of taking Katie to a tea place like Samovar, and she'll just sit there across from me. She won't drink it, and she'll just look at me angry the whole just time. Stare the whole time. Yep. Yeah. I'd like to write some fan fiction about that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might already be done. I'm not sure. Angry, angry Katie Floyd fan fiction. Please, oh, you please don't. Please don't. <laughs> that that could get consider, bad on the internet real fast. Consider the fuse lit. <laughs> but before um, we get uh before we get too far afield um as though we haven't already can i take a, a break and talk about our last sponsor yes please, please do yes uh and just stop the madness uh our last sponsor for this episode is our good friends over at lynda.com uh, and if you haven't checked out lynda.com they have over 2,000 high quality and engaging video courses that are taught by industry experts. Uh, our good friend Chris Breen just published a video over on Linda, and I hear that one of our good friends, Brett Terpstra, is working on a video series over at Linda. So uh, they've got some really interesting people over there working on videos for them. They can help you learn about creative software, business software, uh, life skills, anything that you need to achieve your personal and professional goals whenever, wherever you want. They've got uh, videos that will work on your Mac, on your PC, 
on your iOS app. Um, anywhere that you want to watch this content, you can. And I love the pricing model with lynda.com. You pay one low monthly price of $25, and that provides you with unlimited access to their entire course library. From beginner to advanced, anything you want to watch, any topic, switch topics, you can learn about uh, OmniFocus one day, you can learn about Logic the next. It doesn't matter. Browse and find out what you're interested in. And you can do that with your lynda.com subscription all in one place. And each course is structured so you can either learn from start to finish and go from more beginner to advanced. Or if there's a particular topic that you want to learn about in an app, uh, you can just jump right in and, and pick an answer. Um, if you've got a premium plan, you can even download their project files and and start working on projects right directly with the instructors. So their videos also come with searchable transcripts. So if you're looking for specific keywords or information within a course, you can find those. They're also closed caption. And the this number of courses that they have and the different types of courses that they have are, are just amazing. If you want to get more basic courses or someone who is transitioning to the Mac, you can teach them about Mavericks. You can teach them about um, iOS app development. You can get essential training for iOS 7, um, iPhone and iPad essentials. If you're looking for software specific, they've got courses on OmniFocus, they've got courses on Evernote, uh, uh, courses on WordPress, on HTML5, um, courses on hobbies. So if you want to learn more about photography or photo management or online marketing or anything like that, you can find it at Lynda. And if you don't uh, necessarily hear something in this ad spot that you think you might be interested in, Linda, they've got thousands and thousands more. So go over to lynda.com slash users and you can start a seven-day free trial and take a look at all of the different courses they have to offer. Sample as many as you like within that seven days. If you like it, you can continue with your subscription. If not, don't worry about it, but at least you can get an idea of the types of courses that they have and the types of material that is available. Go to lynda.com slash MacPowerUsers. And uh, thanks to Linda for sponsoring 5x5 and MacPowerUsers. You know, I, I don't like stuff on TV so much that I, I love my Linda subscription. It gives me a place to go kind of just chill and learn something. It's a great service. Yeah. Okay, uh, so let's talk about some more uh, sticky apps or categories. What what has got you excited lately? I know you had said in the notes that you've started playing with this Mind app, M Y N D, and that's a. I'd, I hesitate to call it a calendar app because I consider it almost more of a just get your act together app for me. Yeah, I think I, Katie, Katie Floyd, Angry Katie, haven't you mentioned uh, using Mind? Angry Katie uses Mind, huh? <laughs> <laughs> it was an Earl Grey morning in San Francisco as David stepped productively into the samovar. Glancing across the room, he saw a very, very angry-looking woman staring straight ahead. Fan fiction. Um, the uh, Mind, M-Y-N-D, is a super interesting app to me. Um, uh so yeah, yeah, it is. It is on the face of it a calendaring app, but it's another one of these apps that's like it's trying to do something a little bit different. Uh, at, on, on first glance, it seems like it's trying to be a little bit cute, but I think it's pretty clever and right in my wheelhouse in terms of like the stuff I already do anyway. Which is a <laughs> create calendar events for everything I have to actually do at a certain time, and b doing stuff like always adding a an email address, putting a person on that event. 
And I get paid back for that with mine because you get this one little screen. I mean, Katie can probably describe this better than me, but you pop it open. It shows you what you got to do today, where you have to be, and it cycles through like the different events. So it'll show you like on a map different places you need to be today. And it goes through like I'll see like, oh, here's the, here's the icon for John Roderick because I have to record Roderick on the line today. Here's the, the picture of my daughter because I have to pick her up from school today and so forth. And it shows you the weather all on one page. And it's super smart about like you say, I'm going to be at this place and I need to get to that place. How much travel time do I need to allow and so forth? It's just a really... It's almost reminds me of back when I was briefly on, on, on Android at one point. Really good at taking a whole bunch of seemingly disparate, disparate life information and putting it into this one little dashboard. This really pretty and whimsical, nice typeface. And uh, I, I, think it's, I think it's really neat. I find myself opening it at times when I don't really need to just to see what it's going to tell me. I think it's really cool. Yeah, This yeah, is freaky because right now I'm looking at it and it has my face, David's face, and Merlin, your face going back and forth on the screen because it knows that that's, that's the meeting that I'm in right now. I guess we must have done a calendar invite to, to this particular a third, thing. a third shadowy wow. figure entered into the samovar. Yeah, and it knows that I have three more. That's my more, face. <laughs> yeah, three, three more events left today. Um, and I have traveled 13 out of 32 miles that I have to go today because I have three more events and they're scattered throughout. So that's not too bad. I, yeah. You know, I'm interested in apps like that or Saga is another one that I use, which is an app that <laughs> Saga, it, it just keeps track of uh, uses the M7 and uh, just notices where you were. And like allows you to say, okay, this was actually, I was at my kid's school at this time. I was at work at this time. It works with your Fitbit. So it'll tell you like how many steps you've taken and stuff. No, I'm sorry. I take it back. It doesn't work with your Fitbit. It has its own independent steps. But a la all that creepy home automation stuff, I'm also pretty interested in the self-quantization stuff. And so like I have, I do have a Fitbit and I, and I, I like knowing stuff like how many steps I took today, what my weight was at this time and so forth. Actually, I think it might work with the Fitbit now that I think about it. But in any case, it's pretty neat to pop this thing up and you can see on a map, like all, all the places you went today. And if you're like, I, I this is right up to the point of like journaling, this is the kind of stuff that really interests me. But if you were that sort of person who wants to kind of keep track of what's happening in your life, I think apps like this are really appealing. Yeah. I wanted to thank you for recommending Saga. You, you did that over on back to work. I don't know, two or three weeks ago mm-hmm. and I downloaded and I, I have always been hesitant to like the four square type stuff because I'm just not that interested in socially sharing every place I go. And I don't know, it just seems like it becomes a thing, but well, it's, Saga, so, it's so creepy. And, and the only way, the only way those, those services, those services only make money when you reveal more and more information publicly about yourself. And that's not how Saga works. Yeah, it's it's completely private. I mean, you have the ability to share from there if you'd like. But I, I just really, I've been enjoying it. I didn't think I would get into this. And now I find myself opening it up and saying, oh, I commuted this far yesterday. And, and it's like, oh, I forgot I went there. And I don't know why. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with this data. But but the way Saga works, I guess we haven't really explained it, is it, it just uses the various data available on your phone to kind of tell your saga and it tells, okay, well you were at your home until seven forty two PM and then you drove eighteen miles and maybe you went to work or it, it figures out where a, you went. Is it is it an M seven related app? I mean I don't know if you could use it on an iPhone four. Because it seems to rely very heavily on GPS and doing stuff in the background. You don't have to have Saga open for it to be noticing all of that. You know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. You can go back and catch up for the last couple of days when you have yeah, you can make corrections and say, No, I was actually at the store next door at that time and so forth. Yeah. I, I bet you're right. I think this probably would require the new phone with the M7 chip because you, you don't have it running. It's not draining your battery down. 
Um, but it's kind of nice knowing where did you eat, you know, that day or where did you go? I, I, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to do with it, but I know that I like the application. Mm-hmm. It, it's sticky. It is sticky. And, and the, the display is really nice. And, um, like I said, just the ability to not have to put this on some public website is, is great. Yeah, somewhere between I, I I don't know I guess I I find find friends or find my friends is is a partial solution. There was an app that my wife and I used to use that again it's one of those apps. Oh God, now I can't even remember the name of it. But there was this app that was kind of like a two person Twitter or like a small. You know, basically, you would just go in and we used it like a two person Twitter. You could use it to to put all of your stuff public and Foursquare and all that stuff. But it was just this great place where I could send a photo, for example. I've talked about this years ago, but it was great at the time because if I took my daughter to the store to get groceries, I could send a photo via the service to my wife. She'd be the only person who saw it. And she would see a picture of me putting my kid in, in the car seat. It would also indicate that we were at the Albertsons, what time it is. And she would, so all I had to do was send her that photo. So she got to see our daughter, but it also told her essentially we're coming home. And it was a, it was a fantastic, you know, personal service. I know there's other things like that today. There's, I think, couple, couples. Is that one of them? Or there's all these different little services. And, you know, even today with my wife and I sharing our location on Find, Find Friends, like it still feels kind of creepy. I wish there was just an easier, friendlier way. Okay, I'm going to say this one time. Like, I think it's really weird how many services out there in the world are about pretending to have thousands of friends instead of actually communicating with, like, three friends. Yeah. That's, that's still an unsolved problem. I don't have that many real, real friends, as in people were like, I talk to them every day. But it, it's, it's just that with my wife and I, it would be really nice if we had an easy way to share that stuff. That wasn't as, that didn't feel like an Apache log, sort of like it does with Find My Friends, like it's, you know, automatically, just automatically spitting out this location stuff. I wish it was something a little bit more intimate about actually communicating with each other. You know, it's just that I, I think it's so weird how much people want to share that information publicly. I think it's extremely strange. Um, and I, I wish there were more solutions out there that weren't either over cute, over technical, or just over sherry. And, uh, and so, you know, we do use, we use a combination of those kinds of apps, but you know, it's, I guess you could use slogger or something from, from Brett to pull that all into one place, but it would be nice to have a, a thing that would take care of all that for you. Saga does part of that. Find my friends does part of that. Texting does part of that. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure where I'm going with this, but that, that's, that's the kind of thing that's sticky for me It's something that again, with APIs that could pull all that stuff together. That'd be really neat. Well, we, we use find friends in my family all the time. It's, you know, it's I love it. I can't believe how weirded out I get if I can't find my wife. That's when I realize how creepy it is. When I'm like, are you at work? Where are you? Because like, she's like, no, my phone died. And I'm like, okay, well, I just want to make sure you aren't dead. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird how quickly – do you do that? Like I, how yeah. quickly I think it's weird if I can't find somebody. Have you played with the notifications in Find Friends? Yeah. yeah I mean I usually do it to say – I mean you can do it to say stuff like – I mean, I, I, I work very near where I live, so it's not super useful for that. But like if I were commuting between like, you know, uh, you know, the Inland Empire in San Francisco, I would certainly have something that says automatically let my wife know when I've left this area. Maybe not the office, but like when I'm on the Bay Bridge or whatever, let her know. Yeah. Did it, you do that? Do you have automatic automatic notifications? Yeah. I mean, like I've always – I've talked about this on the show before. I – the first time I read the Harry Potter book and I saw Mrs. Weasley's clock, I was fascinated. It's this clock that tells her where 
when her kids leave and when they're in route and if they're in trouble, if they're in prison, you know, it was just this great <laughs> thing. And, you know, I read this be- long before there was an iPhone. And so I thought, man, what a wonderful thing to have. And in the back of my mind, I've always wanted that. So find friends is kind of my current version of it. Although right. there's, there's, there's other applications. There's applications that tell you when you're commuting and how long it's going to take you to get there. You but could it's, have it's, done- it's really, it's really weird though, because like what I'll do sometimes I've used, um, what's the one, um, glimpse glimpse, glimpse is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. I like Glimpse a lot, but it, it is it, it's, Glimpse is very clever for what it does, but it is a little hacky. So with Glimpse, you basically run this app; it runs in the background. So you send a text to somebody and say, "I'm on my way," and then with Glimpse turned on, they can watch on a map like where you are, like in the cab heading somewhere. This is great. Like if somebody's in town, for example, and I say, "Hey, let's meet for breakfast. Come out to my far flung neighborhood," they could send me a glimpse, and I could see them coming toward me. It's pretty cool. There's something in Find Friends like I. It's a little intimate. To me, like, well, I feel weird when I send it, even like if I'm going out to dinner with some friends, like it's, you know, guy's steak night or whatever. I still feel kind of weird sending a thing out to five people that implicitly says, let's all share our location with each other. And then even like weirdly intimate things like how long should that go for? Like, is somebody, yeah. is it going to seem weird? Like, you know what I mean? Like, should it go to 11? Should it go till noon tomorrow? Like, it's, it, it ends up asking these provocative, kind of intimate questions about whether we really need to know where each other are all the time, which is ultimately kind of unnecessary. Knowing when we, if, that we're all on our way to the steak place is kind of fun. But, like, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, it's like, oh, he didn't go back to his hotel. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, uh, and it's interesting to me that people are so willing to put, all of their data out there to a place like Facebook or Foursquare and share it with the whole world. But then we have some hesitation about making a group with just five close friends that obviously we're okay with knowing where each other are. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's, there's times where it's really super useful to know that information. Do you know what I mean? Like if, if, uh, if, you know, if my wife and my daughter have gone off for the day to visit family in the East Bay, I, you know, I'll say, Hey, just, give me a shout when you're leaving or whatever. And I'll watch or I'll watch my wife, you know, on her commute home from work. It's nice to know if she's going to, she's going to run home from work. Like a couple days a week, she runs home from work. And I for sure would love to know where she is just to know if like suddenly she stops moving for a while, that would be really good to know. But I don't know. It's, I, you don't want to sound like a prude, but it's, it's, it's understandable to want to increase your status. And to want to become the mayor of things and stuff like that. It's understandable, especially when you're young and you want exposure to lots of strangers for various reasons. It's just that it's funny to me, like how, how many of the tools for these things are so permissive, uh, so really promiscuous about your life without actually providing that much useful information. So, for example, uh, like at, at times when a bunch of my friends are in town for something like Macworld or, um, WWDC, we'll use Glassboard. Glassboard is much better for that. Just to have a little, almost like a little like six-person chat room. It's just much easier to use. It's still not a full solution for everything you could ever need, but it's really nice to have a place where you can just have this own little private area where you talk. It used to drive me crazy going to stuff like South by Southwest where my friends would try to like organize things via text messages. It's like, what are you, what are you doing? Like, stop doing that. This, this is a completely imperfect way to try and like settle where we're going to have dinner. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just it's I don't know because not everybody, everybody uses that medium the same way, and it's it's like it ends up being two people talking a lot, and everybody else just staring at their phone and rolling their eyes. 
Yeah, and everybody wants to make the big solution, you know, the Facebook, the thing that everybody uses. But I think there's a lot of call for that that more intimate location, intimate communication issue. Yeah, there's not a lot of dough in that. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the problem. It's depressing. And uh, I'd pay for it, but I'm not sure everybody else would. Well, that's the problem. I mean, you know, you'd pay for it once for $1.99, and then that person would have to figure out how to make a new version that they can charge $1.99 for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or offer an in-app purchase for this thing that used to be included with the app. It's just the economy. The economy the way it is right now is really the app economy. is not well suited to making a very subtle app that does something interesting. It's It's got to do something. It's, it's got to involve lots of people doing something. It's got to involve something addictive. It's got, you know, people who just want to have a normal life. It's, there's not that many apps that are going to be around for five years charging 99 cents for that app in the way that it is right now. It's not sustainable. You can't do it. The companies that we're friends with, that we work with are struggling with how to figure this stuff out right now. Making a yeah. best of breed app that you want to charge $40 or $80 for or $100 for, it's really difficult. You know, and so what do you do? Do you come up with all these different tiers? Do you try and sell it yourself? It's it's complicated, and I think I think Apple in particular is not doing a lot to improve the problem right now. Uh, the way the App Store is set up is execrable, and they should be embarrassed to even have it running the way that it is right now. That it, all it really it really is rewarding people who are abusing it the worst with the stupidest stuff and the stupidest policies. And I think if it ends up being if it ends up being three years from now, and the best and brightest have moved on to other things, I don't think it should be too surprising because they have not done apart from the very obvious percentage that people get from selling those apps. I don't even think it's like as good as it was a couple of years ago. I don't think people are making the dough they were making. I just wouldn't be surprised if that eco if they don't make some some if they don't take some steps to improve the way that ecosystem works. I don't know. I, I, I think they're going to have problems. I think they're already well, getting problems. Well, what's, what do you, you know, are you talking about trials? Are you talking about, you know, more more stringent restrictions on what can go in the app? Or are you talking about, you know, trying to get rid of some of the, the clones? Or, yeah. let's, say, let's say there's an app in an area where there's a lot of competition. If there's an app, uh, I don't want to get too specific, but, you know. Yeah, I've, I've had an app that I have specifically searched for because they yeah. said, oh, yeah, we've released version whatever of our app. Um, it's now available on the store. And I've typed in the name of that app in the search, and maybe because it's new or whatever, it hasn't popped up yet, but three clones have. Or yeah. who, you know, who have used it as, you know, use that app's name in their search terms or whatever. And so, and so essentially, in the same way that for a long time before Google, you know, Google's always trying to fight spam in its way. But I mean, I know this has happened in Macworld. It's happened with me. There's a lot of times where, where stuff that somebody writes is on the second page below the stuff from people who, who scraped that article from you because right. their SEO was better. Yeah. Uh, their black hat SEO was better. And in this instance, this is, is a form of black hat SEO that Apple's doing apparently very little to discourage. So if you set up an, an environment where you really clearly highlight and feature apps that are free within app purchases, if you make it, if you create an environment where it's easy enough to just come up with a name that makes you score higher, <laughs> I mean, that's just a couple examples, let alone the million other things that makes them incredibly hostile toward their developers, the, the complete opacity about the entire system. Um, I don't know. I just, I, I would not be surprised. I mean, if you were a smart person, would you, would you want to start doing that today? 
Is that, is that, you know, maybe the best game out there, but I don't think they are doing things to create an environment that's going to want to attract independent developers. As long as the money's there, people will do it. The people will put up with a lot for money. But ask yourself as a developer today, friends, are you, aren't, are you not putting up with a lot more today than you used to put up with a few years ago? Just because, like, for example, this, the apps that they choose to feature, being featured by Apple is a big way that your app gets noticed. Like, and then, or secondarily, by being in, like, the top 10 of one of those categories. Well, if Apple's picking apps that are free with in-app purchases, or if the only apps that are getting up there are the apps that are well-optimized for those kinds of things... Not only, but you know what I mean. If you can't yeah. find an app by searching for the name, something's incredibly broken. So somebody spends months or years developing that application to get to a point where they have to give it away and then have a three ninety nine dollars app purchase in order to pay their rent. Like, And then people can't find it to begin with? Like, that's... I don't know. This is way off topic, but I think that's super frustrating. And I think it's one of those things where it, Apple can just keep whistling past the graveyard on that, or they could actually do what they're good at, which is make the best possible version of this anyone's ever seen. And instead, it just, it just sits there fallow, it's feeling as a user the same or worse than the day that it launched, which is a terrible thing for an Apple product. It's a terrible feeling to have. Uh, I think the search needs work. I don't know what the answer is, but you, know, you would think that somebody does. Well, human uh, editing would help a lot. Yeah, and the the whole thing with the in-app purchases and the free apps, I think us as consumers are partly at fault for that too. But I I agree that it would be nice to see them emphasize, you know, kind of the the lunchbox developers out there that are making great products that just want to get paid for it. But boy, that that problem is a lot more difficult to solve for me than the search. It seems to me the search is a no-brainer. It, it just needs to be better. Yeah, I, I guess I just see them as, as like like so many of Apple's myriad problems right now. Uh, I see them as just heavy, heavily related to this. The thing that used to make Apple Apple in some ways was that they unquestionably made, in, in a crowded field, they would make a uniquely special product that was impossible to replicate in other places. You couldn't you couldn't replicate the experience of a lot of their products in, until really a, a few years ago. And now it just seems like they're trying to half fight a war on so many fronts that there's nothing that Apple is making right now that's flawless. And it used to really feel like they made a fair amount of stuff that was pretty much flawless. And there's not a single Apple thing I use today that's that's working that well. <laughs> my iTunes doesn't work that great. My Apple TV not working that great. My phone just got an update that is mostly working, but in, until two two or three days ago, my phone would crash three times a day. My brand new phone. Uh, I just don't. I I don't see at at a at the high level. I don't see Apple putting the kind of focus and care into things that they used to, and it bums my head. And you know, at the point when that app economy starts to change, boy, that. I mean, I I, I don't know. I don't. You know what? I don't really. I don't really care about the business stuff. I care about being somebody who loves using this stuff. And when I find myself feeling that resistance about picking up the phone because I know it's going to crash as soon as I turn it on, or when I feel like it's Friday night and I might have to go sit there and re-enter my credentials to get iTunes to work on my Apple TV, or I feel like if I don't uh, <laughs> get this SSL upgrade, it's going to leave me. Ex- it's like there's just so much stuff right now where you're like, like who's running that ship? You know, it's it's frustrating. That's yeah. all. Yeah. Cut all that yeah. out. <laughs> That's it's all good feedback, and I think I think you're right on some level. The, uh, uh, but we we're two hours in, and well, like, what do you love? What do you what do you use right now? That's working perfectly. My Retina Tell- MacBook Pro is is golden. I love this computer. Okay, 
It's my favorite computer I've ever had. I mean, the screen is beautiful. The SSD drive, it's awesome. And frankly, uh, I'm with you on iOS 7. I think that they get a certain amount of pass because I think they, they try to change a lot very quickly. But I, I shouldn't be getting crashes on my phone and iPad. It just yeah. I, it feels so foreign to me. I don't even know how to deal with it. But now I've got the 7.1. I haven't had any. Have you guys had any crashes since you installed 7.1? As we record this, it's been out about a week now. No, none. Well, I also yeah. started getting less polio after they put out a polio vaccine. Yeah, I know. It's I like, know. but I'm it was not, a real I'm bummer not, until we got that. I'm not trying to be an apologist. <laughs> I, I, I agree. It shouldn't. That that problem. That was that was. I, it was. It's impossible for me to believe that. It's possible for me to believe that that shipped, but it's very difficult for me to believe how long. Yeah, that's that has, the part that, that gets like me. That. It's like, okay, maybe it was really hard to get it out, but you why can make did those it pretty take buttons so long? now. You got those pretty button. Did you get those pretty yeah. buttons turned on? No, I didn't. Turn those on yet? No, I didn't do any of that stuff. <laughs> I, I, I've seen the pictures and I'm not interested. <laughs> I have finally figured out the shift key. That's that's caused a lot of grief, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I still can't tell when it's on. <laughs> um, Katie is telling me she's got to go back to work. So I guess we should start oh. wrapping mm. up. But, um, Merlin, thanks I wanna... for having me on, you guys. I oh, appreciate man. it. It's great. It, like I said, it, every year I always look forward to doing a show with you. You're just one of my favorite people, not on the internet, but just one of my favorite people. Period. Um, to the listeners who haven't gone and listened to it, I really recommend checking out Back to Work. It's a lot of fun, but also once in a while, Merlin just punches me in the face with something that I need to hear, and uh, I consider it necessary listening in my life. And then uh, for the, you know, the more even the stuff you do with on Roderick on the line is even it's a different kind of theme for the show. But uh, I, I enjoy listening to that as well. I mean, you're just really turning into a, a heck of a broadcaster. And, and thanks for everything you've shared with everybody, Merlin. Well, thank you. Thanks to you guys, too. I'm a big fan of your show. It's always an honor to be on. And uh, I learn something every time I listen. So I appreciate it. Mutual admiration. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Th- Thanks to our sponsors, Tapes, Smile, Omni Group, and Linda. And uh, we'll see you all at Macworld. Merlin, are you going to be at Macworld on anything? Are you going to lay low? Uh, You never know. I might show up. You never know. All right. I'd love to see you there. And uh, everybody have a great day, and we'll see you next week. Now the show is over. Didn't even mean to begin. It was accidental.